and welcome to Conversations on Karate. I'm Sue. I'm Greg. And today we have a special guest, another special guest. It's Joe Andrews. No, it's not. It's Joe Andrews' twin. <laughs> for, those, for those who listen, <laughs> uh, we have Ken from Ken Fu. Hey, guys. How are you? Hey, very good. Very good, good morning. It's nice to see you in, yes. in for real, not just on for the real. I'm seeing yeah. you on the screen, but it's like it's not on the screen because you're talking to us. You're not talking to us on YouTube. Yeah, it's different yeah. for me too because I'm used to just hearing you. True. Yeah. Like we get to have like a conversation about yeah. karate. That's or right. anything. It doesn't have to be That's karate. Right. Hey. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> um, right. So let's. I mean, the thing we all, always ask guests first, and this normally kind of sends us on a massive story is uh, history in martial arts, how you got started and, you know, where it took you to now. Oh, sure. So when I was young, I don't know, um, early teenager, younger than teenager, something like that started, uh, my stepdad got me and my little brother set up with a dojo in Alabama and did that for like a summer, asked the sensei when I was getting ready to move because I was moving back to Wyoming and... Asked the sensei, I said, hey, you know, what do I need to do to find a new place to train? And he said, just go find a, a Japanese school. You'll be fine. And I came back and I couldn't find one. So <laughs> <laughs> years went by, um, years went by. And through work, I met um, my now instructor. And my my boss was saying, he's like, hey, you know, you guys were talking about the martial arts stuff. That so-and-so does that. And he was in one day and I asked him about it and he said, yeah, I can buy the dojo. And I've, well, I've been there ever since. And so that started me into, uh, Seo Shoren Ryu. Uh, his, his was his karate style at the time. His style before that was Okinawa Kempo. And so it's always been kind of a, a blend of that because mm. you, you are your teacher, right? And you're and no matter what style you are, you are the person that you are. Um, and it all comes out together. And then through that, I've got connected to the Filipino martial arts and jiu-jitsu and kobudo and and then just tried anything I could get my hands on after that. Um, Aikido, Tai Chi, Judo. The the last one's not nearly as frequent as the karate, the eskrima, and the jiu-jitsu. Mm. That's good. That's, that's, a, that's a massive blend. <laughs> that's right? A... <laughs> When you say jiu-jitsu, do you mean Japanese jiu-jitsu or Brazilian jiu-jitsu? Uh, both. So okay. my instructor style had a lot of Japanese jiu-jitsu, and then over time we started in implementing uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu into our system stuff. So too, through we got connected to the World Karate Kubo Jiu-Jitsu Organization with Kyoshi Simon Sherborne, and he has um, karate and kubo from Master Odo, the the Mariyoshi stuff, and. Uh, then has trained a lot of jujitsu under Hoist Gracie, Roy Harris, the Valencia brothers. And so that's kind of where a lot of the jujitsu that we do comes from. Mm. Nice. Nice. The Filipino stuff's interesting to me. I've always been a fan of, um, I don't know if you had, if you had this over there, or if you remember this suit, mind, body and kick-ass moves. Do you remember that TV series? Oh, I, I do. Do you? I do. I, I yeah. remember watching that as a kid, and there was there was loads of a screamer on there, and I remember being like fascinated with it then. So anyone that says they they do a screamer, and then uh, looking into like Bruce Lee, Dan and Santo, obviously was like a big 
Um, oh, huge. I got a chance to train one time. I got a chance to train one time with Dan Asanto and Oh, really? That was an incredible experience. It is. You know, when they say drinking from the fire hose, I think they specifically are talking about him because <laughs> I mean, it's amazing. You he'll go and he'll go, you know, hey, uh yeah, we're going to do this. He's going to do we're going to do some basics, just the five, you know, basics. And he'll run through like something that's five or six moves long. Okay, that's number 1 and then I'll show you another one and another one and another one. He'll give you five or six of those that are five or six moves long. And he's like, "All right, great." Um, I'll give you, I don't know, 30 seconds and, and he'll start music for like 30, 45 seconds and then he'll stop and go on to the next thing. <laughs> and, oh man, it just was so much, but it was so much fun. And he is just an incredible, incredible wealth of knowledge. Mm. And it was special to me because, uh, the system, the Filipino system that I do is Tobosa's Kalia Screma, which nobody knows about for the most part. And even when I did it, like I started looking around going, am I in something shady? Cause I can't find anything about it. Um, and it just came from the way the Filipino martial arts are. And you know, there was, they just didn't really talk about it. Very kind of secretive. And Tobosa himself was one who was always pointing to his teachers and never to himself. So he didn't come up a whole lot. Now, now you can find it more. Mark Wiley's done some books. There's different stuff that he shows up in. But when I was training at that seminar with Inosanto, um, I had one of the shirts on, and he called me out at one point. He said, he said, somebody ha here had a Tobosa shirt on, um, and he had me stand up and demonstrate some stuff. And so I asked him later, I said, so, so you know about the Tobosa system then? He said, oh, yeah. Well, every time I went to Hawaii when I was writing my book, he was the guy that drove me around. And so that was really special and kind of interesting to me. Here's this person that nobody's ever heard of, and he was the guy that drove drove him around to get information and meet the masters and stuff. It's kind of cool. That is cool, yeah. Yeah, I would. I'd love to meet Dan and Sam. So I really spend that. I mean, let's get him on soon. Let's let's shoot for the stars. Yeah, get him on here. I just need to do that. Especially, he's not getting any younger. No, no. I don't know how old is he now. He must be. He's in. He's easily in his eighties, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, I found out not too long ago, just a couple of years ago, that he came not six hours away from me, about once a year, at least once a year. And I, went, and I don't know how I never knew that. <laughs> and so, because that's not even, I mean, that's not even a long drive. That's worth it. We we literally had this conversation the other day. Was it, did we have this conversation the other day, too, or was it me and someone else? That, you know, in America, a six-hour drive is nothing. Whereas for <laughs> us, like, an hour drive. That. that would be and like the beginning of the holidays yeah yeah an hour drive is like whoa that's a long way <laughs> all the way to bristol like yeah, 45 minutes really yeah <laughs> oh man yeah that's the thing living in wyoming it's everything is uh, there's a mountain and a lake and all kinds of stuff that's no more than 15 minutes away fantastic if you go 30 minutes away there's nothing for a few hours and and it's flat and there's it's not even interesting to look at <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah that's the difference we, we i mean we have nothing anyway to be fair don't we see <laughs> anyway um yeah going back to the uh the filipino stuff the, the carly mm -hmm. screamer yeah i know you've done a video on this so we won't you know um retread it but for sure. people that haven't seen it you know what's the benefit you think to your karate that that's given you because i when i look at it some of the flow drills and stuff that they do is is like stuff I think we, we need to do more of in karate. Yeah, yeah. So the video spoke specifically about the fact that 
everything, at least in the system that I train, everything you do is trained in like permutations. So if you have, if you start off with it, Filipino systems very regularly have at least five angles of attack. And so you take those five angles. And then after that, it kind of depends on your system if you've got different ones. And But you take those five angles and you do them on a, a lead leg. You do them on your rear leg. You do them moving forward. You do them moving back. You do them with V-stepping. You do them with, you know, every different footwork you have, Every whether it's circular footwork, linear footwork. And so you just drill your basics in every possible permutation you can and the system itself is just made up of basics and different ways to apply the same thing and i really like that from a karate perspective because there's many mm. things that that you do in karate that you are used to if i deploy this i'm going to deploy it from this place and not i've already trained 15 different ways to to deploy the same skill and i mm. think we need to do more of that yeah uh, but that's just one thing because I agree with you. One of the one of the things that I love the most are flow drills. It's one of my favorite things because it's so easy to rapidly get reps in. You know, I think of uh, all the time I did. You know, when I first started, we did a lot of ipon kumite and things like that, where you, mm. you'd go, you'd go, then you'd stop, you'd reset, then you go, then you stop, then you'd reset. Flow drills get rid of the stop and the reset. And what I enjoy of that, you can go really soft. And you can just develop motor reflexes. Mm-hmm. Or you can enter in pressure and and push people, hit hard, change angles, change directions, and force people out of that comfort and let the 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 skills and the reflexes apply. And it's kind of a good way to pressure test within within a template rather yeah. than you know, not not live but with live energy. And with the Filipino martial arts, the additional thing is everything is the same whether you're empty-handed, whether you're using something short, like a small stick or a knife, whether you're using something long, like a longer stick or a machete or something like that. They use the sai, they call it the tekpi. They use uh, the chaku, um, those are the tabaktoyuk, or they call them chaku. Uh, they use the staff, they use the spear, they use flexible weapons like scarves, but the mechanic behind it is 100% the same. It's all based on... Uh, body mechanics and angles. And so if you take one thing away, you're not learning a new skill, a new a new thing. You're just learning a new attribute to apply it with. Yeah. And, you know, if something cuts, then its attribute is different. If it pierces, it's different. If it's blunt, it's different. But then the skill, the, the way that you implement it doesn't change. So you can rapidly change to something you've never picked up before and mm. still deploy that skill. And I really, really like that. And I like to find the overlap in other arts because it's there 100% yeah there. so what because you you do uh kobudo as well yes sir yeah so so because that seems very different to to kobudo which is almost an entirely different art to karate uh, agreed uh it's it is very different to kobudo in fact i'll be honest now i have a hard time with kobudo um, mm. because of the fact that it's so much easier to me the idea of understanding angles and just approaching everything from an angle rather than a, a classification, a long list of, well, this is Joronichi, this is Joronanamayuchi, this yeah, is, yeah. you know, all of these different things. Instead, it's, well, did it come from the right or the left and did it rise or did it fall? And that's really kind of 
what it's doing, right? Does it have an arc or is it piercing? Is it going straight forward? And the Kabuto has so many... I really enjoy the kata. I really enjoy Kabuto kata. I, um, but anymore, if I actually want to implement Kabuto, I'm not really going to be thinking about the kata. I'm going to be thinking more just angles of attack and that momentum and the way the weapon moves. And it's hard to work. And it's also... I, I started with Yamani-ru. Um, I've also done Mariyoshi, Kobudo, and very rigid, very strong, but not a lot of flow. Mm. And that's a very big difference. And with the Filipino stuff, it's you're always moving. Everything's always moving. Yeah. And and the the Kobudo, especially as you do the kata and stuff, it, it it wants to pause. It wants to have sharp stops to what it does. You throw one really big hit, you know, and then you move. Um, and it's just, it feels different. It feels very broken and staccato rather than fluid. I always found that such a, a struggle because, I mean, my background was, my, my instructor was traditional Shotokan, but he was also big into like freestyle karate and freestyle kickboxing. So there was always a, okay. there was always kind of a, a disconnect between the traditional and the freestyle because the freestyle you're always taught to flow and, you know, never stop dead, blend right. techniques between each other and then you go to your cutter and it's like this needs to stop bang here before you move to the next move and it's yes. such a such a conflicting way of doing things how, how do you find that in in your karate now because obviously i mean i know you're not sure can but obviously the principles i guess are similar in terms of you know you, you stop between each move there's not a lot of blending and flow oh yeah no you're absolutely right and i feel the especially the seoshoranru that i do has a very we do shurikan katas um it it feels very Shotokan in a lot of ways. Mm. And so it has a lot of that stuff. And, the you know, you look at Mariyoshi Kobodo and, and in the kata, not only are the the hard stops and the very clean things, but even the lines, is the bow flat? Is it Did it enter and exit on the same line? Very, very clean, very beautiful. Um, but it's, it's combative function and it's aesthetic are, are two different things. And sometimes mm. I have a hard time reconciling the fact that, well, you wouldn't fight this way. And sometimes I struggle with, well, well, then why wouldn't I train this way? Because uh, I feel like those need to be. And it's funny, you mentioned, you know, things stopping still. And then I always think of Ian Aberdethy saying, you know, there's only two things still in a fight. Yeah. Someone who's <laughs> unconscious and someone who's about to be unconscious. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah that, that's you know. so true as well. <laughs> it's one of the best things. One of the best yeah. lines I've heard that just sums everything up. It does always be moving. And. Um, you know, and the the Filipino stuff has is so mobile. Mm. Your footwork is it's lighter, it's looser. The, the particular style I do is also very low, so there'll be times that you'll just drop almost to the ground to come under something and then back up, um, or come under something and then just fight from there, which is really interesting because you reduce a lot of targets by becoming smaller. Mm. Um, you know, when you're standing, you've got high targets, middle targets, low targets. When you're when you're down low, they all kind of mush together. Your yeah. high target and your low target are only inches away from each other. And so it, it creates different opportunities and different challenges for somebody who's dealing with you. And whereas the Kabuto is very, especially the really, really traditional stuff that I did with Yamani-ru, you know, very strong front stances, very strong back stances and very upright, strong posture. It's a very different movement style, completely mm. different. Yeah. 
it's strange that that you know that it's developed in that way. I wonder how accurate that is to the past, because you know back in because because Kobe was essentially like they used that stuff for real back in the day. Yeah. Like, there's no doubt about it. Like you know, especially if you have the um, and I have no no bearing whatsoever. Mm. Um, but I have a theory, and I want to explore it, which is that I don't really believe that Kabuto was about fighting other people with weapons. I don't think that we walked down the street and we you had a bow and I had a bow and then we had a beef and then we and then we started fighting. You know, I feel like if you were defending yourself, if it was you know just like karate is based in the idea of self protection, not not warrior uh, skills. Mm. So you weren't going out to battle where everybody was carrying a pole arm or everybody was carrying, you know, you weren't samurai where you were, oh, well, this is the, the crew of people that are carrying naginata. This is the crew of people that have swords. Um, you know, that wasn't what it was. It was self-protection. And I believe Kabuto probably fell into the same category in that self-protection area, which means, so does that mean that when I fought with a bow, I was probably fighting someone who didn't have one or maybe had a bottle or something like that. And when you start looking at some of the application of it, and how, okay, well, this is a move that you use to hook somebody's bow and take it out of their hand. Like, well, what if I'm hooking behind their knee and throwing them on the ground? Mm. Um, you know, so <clears throat> when I looked at karate, a lot of things changed for me when I moved from the long range um, karateka versus karateka type fighting to the grappling and closer range. Mm. Everything made more sense. Yeah. And I feel the same way when I start thinking about Kabuto, not against somebody who also has a Kabuto weapon, but instead going, I have a tool that's my force multiplier against this person. Maybe he has a knife and I've got a long stick. So that's giving me the ability to maintain a range where I'm less likely to get cut by his knife. Or maybe he doesn't have a knife at all and he just shouldn't have picked a fight with a guy who was holding a stick. I don't know. <laughs> But I'm really interested in that, and I want to – so personally, I want to spend some time exploring how the different things in the kata apply to a person rather than a weapon. Because mm. I was always taught how do you defend against a weapon. If you're doing a bow move, it's against a bow almost exclusively. The other thing I really wanted to do, and I missed my chance recently when uh, Ian was doing his end-of-the-year podcast where he does uh, questions for everybody – Oh yeah. He doesn't spend a lot of time on Kabuto, but I wonder I would like to find somebody that has his his outlook combined with his interest in the historical approach and and digging deeper into that, but for Kabuto. Because mm. I hear a lot of it for karate, but I hear very little for Kabuto. No, yeah, you don't do you don't hear a lot of it for Kabuto. It's yeah. interesting that what you said is essentially the same problem that karate's had is, you know, is Karate was taught as long range karate versus karate, and now Kobodo is taught as bow versus bow. It's essentially right. the same thing. Which is like, yeah, like you said, when you when you hear it out loud, it makes zero sense, does it? That it would be taught, you know, bow versus, but like, for those two things to coincide, is very slim to learn a whole system based on on that. Based, right? Yeah. yeah, specifically on somebody having the same weapon you have. Yeah, maybe you should carry two just in case they don't have one with them. You could throw. Them yeah, out. yeah, yeah. Throw it on the <laughs> ground and ask them to duel. <laughs> That's right. But yeah, no, that is that. Yeah, I've never thought about it like that before. Yeah, you start thinking about those weapons. I mean, the Filipinos did that when they. When I look at, I mean, they've got their tekpi, which is the sai. Uh, you've got the nunchaku. I, I've never once seen them consider those weapons against each other. 
Mm. It's always how do you end the other person with this tool? And then Nunchaku is a really good example of that. Um, there, in the Mariyoshi system, there are uh, kumikata. There are, are two people fighting templates, right? Really good for developing some basic basic skill. And so you have things like bobo, a bow versus a bow, bosai, bow versus sai, bow versus tonfa, bow versus kama, um, bow versus tembei rochin, the the shield and and sword or shield and spear. Mm-hmm. Um, and those are really interesting. But then you never really see that with like an nunchaku because how do you how do you have a nice sparring match with nunchaku? Because yeah. they're, kind <laughs> they're kind of awful. I mean, you either hit or you don't. Mm. There's no, there's no half with that. You could, you could take the energy off of a bow. You could take the energy off of a side. But if you hit someone with an nunchaku, it's, it's either there or it's not. And yeah. so it makes you think: if that's true, then when were you ever fighting nunchaku versus nunchaku, you know, or something like this? Yeah, it's like the game. You know, going back to Dan and Santa, it's like the game of death where they just both stood. Showing off Nunchaku skill. <laughs> That's right. That's <laughs> right. Well, and if you think if you think Filipino style, the the thing about that is it's very simple. Um, we have a a a three step um, moral and physical escalation, and it follows in the old way. It was called Thang mobility and breath. Uh, new terminology would be um, disarm, immobilize, and neutralize. Sounds mm. better in court. When you say it, that yeah, way. <laughs> true. <laughs> but the whole idea is is defang them first. If they if they plan to hit you, then if you can't just leave, then destroy the thing they're trying to harm you with. If they're mm. holding holding a weapon, destroy the hand that holds the weapon so that they can't hold the weapon anymore. Maybe that's enough to make them stop. If they're not holding a weapon, still destroy the hand because it's still probably the weapon, right? It's they're still probably trying to hit you or something like that. Um, if that if that's not enough, like if you couldn't de-escalate it first and then you approach it from um, the the fang dealing with their their want to continue to try to hurt you well if that's not there then mobility take away their ability to follow you so that you can flee mm-hmm. without them being able to follow you and then breath being either make them unconscious or make them dead depending on what's necessary and Naturally, necessary might preempt the first two. You might have to start with mobility because of something. You might have to start with breath because something about the situation has shown you that that, you know, it's not that you just skipped it for skipping it, but something about the situation showed you that it was necessary to not put yourself in danger trying those steps Mm. because you already know that it's beyond that being reasonable. Well, when you have that escalation, it, it makes it really simple. If you try to hit me, I'm going to I'm gonna destroy your hand. So when you think of like a nunchaku or something like that, if you swing something, I'm going to hit you in the hand. If you've got a bow, I'm going to hit you in the hand. If you've got a saw, I'm going to hit you in the hand. If you're trying to punch me, I'm going to hit you in the hand. And, you know, I'm, so suddenly all you have to do is hit them. Mm. You're not thinking, how do I block them? You're mm. thinking, move to a place where you're not getting hit and hit them. And this back and forth dueling, clashing of weapons ideally just isn't a thing. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. That just simple process. Me and, me and Joe, your twin, we were talking about, <laughs> we were talking about, um, he did a, a, a webinar with Lee Sims the other day on, on self-defense law here in the UK. Oh, I saw, um, I saw some event posts about that. Was that yeah. awesome? I, I was never, he said he, he was really, really good. Um, and he sent me uh, one of the flow charts or something from it. 
And it's very much like that. It's, you know, it just gives you a simple process that you can essentially forget about once you know it. And it really? takes it takes that kind of second guessing of what should I do in this situation away because you know what you're allowed to do. You, you know the process, similar to what you've just said. It takes all that, what do I do here? You have a process that you go through and, and that's that. You know, sure. like you said, you may you may skip a step depending on your needs, but you know exactly where you're going to go. Yeah, and I know at least, and everybody's law is different. Here, I live in the Wild West, it feels like. You know, we don't have any, you can carry pretty much anything. Um, we don't have any concealed carry laws here in, in the state. So you if you want to carry a gun, you can open carry it, you can conceal carry it, you don't need a permit for that. Um, it's a very interesting, interesting place that everything's kind of open. And the, the law is essentially comes down to was what you did reasonable and did you stop when it was no longer reasonable? Yeah. And it really boils down to that. And I was having a conversation on Saturday in class with some students who were newer students and I was explaining kind of this same escalation. And I gave them the, the example of, you know, a really good example of where I might target, um, breath first because that seems very very aggressive and and you know something you try to avoid mm. but if you are with your family and your option if your option to leave puts your family in danger and you need to stay so that they are able to leave but the situation is not good then making someone unconscious is going to be the safest way for you to stay with that person mm. while the, your family gets away. And, and that, so then take that consideration into, well, how do you defend yourself legally? Well, I felt like I was going to be in danger. I needed my family to get safe, but I needed to do something to keep myself safe while I helped them get away. And that's reasonable. Right, I think anybody would look at that and think that's a reasonable yeah, for sure. assessment. Yeah. Do you, do you spend a lot of time on that kind of stuff in your teaching in, in on the self defense side of things? I do um, a fair bit because I think that it's important. Mm. Um, you know the how does it go? The you know deadly skills in the hands of honest men or something like that was the way the quote went. Um, it for me. I mentioned this on Saturday too. For me, the, the thing that bothers me the most, if I were to get into a situation where I had to defend myself and say it even went so far that I had to end someone else's life and then it goes to court and it's, it's an absolute windfall in my favor. They go, yep, you're 100% justified. You're not going to jail, blah, blah, blah. Everything's great. Everything went fine. I didn't get hurt. I mean, we're just going, we're going full roses here. Everything's great. I didn't get hurt. That person's dead. The threat is gone. I didn't go to jail. I didn't any of this stuff. At the end of the day, there's still a prison in my mind that has to remember the fact that I did that. Mm -hmm. That has to remember the fact that I, in court, maybe I saw that person's family who they don't get to have in their life anymore. Uh, and those kind of things, that that bothers me, right? The idea... That that's a thing and so i think it's important that people understand that that abusing these kinds of skills becoming knowledgeable in what it would take to do severe damage to somebody mm. and then not actually 
throttling it anyway and abusing it um, has ramifications and those particular ramifications just sit on my mind pretty heavily and and so yeah it comes up a lot because i think that that's important to, mm. to think about I, I don't want people to necessarily go well here's how i would justify it in court you might need to know how to do that that's real i want you to be able to at the end of the day put your head on your pillow and know that you did what needed to be done yeah and that you that you came at that from a place where you were not irrational and that you understood um, what needed to be done and that you did that and that you're okay knowing that you did the best that you could do. And that doesn't come by just winging it and seeing what happens. It, it means you've act, had to have actually thought at some point about the value of human life, mm. the, the, the value of quality of life, the value of ego and pride, and the fact that a lot of violence can be avoided by not letting ego become a thing, right? Which is not easy, but it's true. Mm. If something is not threatening your life. I listened um, on NPR. They had uh, an interview with... Oh, it's the guy who plays Machete, uh, Danny Trujillo. Trujillo? Yeah. Danny Trejo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he was talking about, and I had never thought about this, and it really kind of put things into perspective for me. He mentioned being in prison and things becoming really simple. Because effectively what he said is if there was a problem, if people were getting pissed off, they're getting angry, and they're, they're, you know, things are heating up, he said, well, yeah, it came down to one simple thing. He said, I just, that would I kill you over this? And that, and that was it. That was for them is like, if this becomes a thing, I'm probably going to have to kill you. And so is this something worth killing you for? Mm. And it's kind of crazy that it took that escalation to suddenly put everything into perspective to go, you know, while we're not in that situation, if I'm standing at the, at the gas station and somebody's behind me in line and they're just being absolutely crazy to me or something, but I'm not actually in danger. I might be embarrassed or something like that. While I might, I would not actually kill this person. If I put that same perspective in my mind, is this something, is this something worth killing somebody over? If the answer is no, then maybe it's not a big deal. And maybe mm. I'll just buy my chips and go, you know, it doesn't need to become something. And, but I think very often pride's a thing. A hundred percent. Yeah. And it yeah. makes us make foolish decisions. Mm-hmm. I was listening to, um, to, to Joe Rogan, uh, his, his podcast with Faraz Sahabi the other day. And he, Faraz was saying something about, you know, how, how regular people just don't understand the realities of violence. And, and, you know, you mentioned the guy, you know, theoretically behind you in line kicking off, you know, things like that. They don't understand how bad things can get for someone who is trained to do things that they're not trained to do. Um, sure. Yeah. 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 It, uh, people don't think of things like that. Um, and I like what you said there about, you know, having to be comfortable with your decisions. Cause I see so much stuff now and I don't know if this is becoming more common, specifically in the reality based uh, systems of just people going nuts on Bob the dummy. 
you know, <laughs> just going absolutely mental. Like they're doing a scenario where, you know, they're, they're shouting at him, they're being preemptive, they're doing a strike and then they're biting his ear off. And, and I'm like, why, why are you training for this? Like, is that necessary? Oh, can I, can I stop you right there? Yeah, because sure. I think that is a huge question. Why are you training for this? Mm. You know, not, why are you doing this? You might've been told to do it, you know, whatever, but why are you training this? This is, so there are people in my life who they deal with this stuff. Some of them are ex-military, some of them are law enforcement, things like that. Mm-hmm. And they, they train those kind of scenarios. And I mean, uh, they, they work with guys that train special forces and things like that. And I've had the opportunity to train with them a few times and I have a hard time with it because the the life the reality that they have to live in is so far outside of the reality that I live in mm. and you know they're and and there, we need people in the world who are able to go to those places mm-hmm. who have to live in the dark places in the world and by dark place I mean just even in their head and stuff where they look at somebody and they're like yeah uh, today you die you know because yeah. XYZ you need to die and for you may have might say something to somebody or do something. So I, I'll just end you right now. And there are people that that has to be, you know, in the military are different things. Sometimes that's a thing. I really struggle with that. And there's a reason why I could not probably be in that position. But the thing that I ran into, like uh, there were really good things I could take out of the training because it was very efficient. Everything had to work or they threw it out. Right. And yeah. they were literally talking, I'm arming you with this. And, your life will depend on it. Mm. And so everything that they did had value. And if it didn't, it was gone. And really interesting things. One of the guys that I talked to, we were working firearms and he started off with this story and it was a really interesting story. Put some interesting perspective. We were getting ready to train and he's going, okay, so there's a military base. It's got, it's got barriers, right? It's got, um, um, know walls or whatever gates and guards and everything and it was multi-layered so if you went out of those gates then there was another area then you went out of that there was another area and then it opened all the way up or whatever so the people on the inside were calm and relaxed and not worried about anything because things would have to get really bad to have made it through the other two barriers before it ever got to them well it happened and because there were people on the inside who helped it happen and And he's talking about how these guys come in, they've got rifles, they're shooting, guy draws his handgun, points it at the guy, pulls the trigger, and and nothing happens. And he racks racks the slide, checks the safety, tries again, nothing happens. The guy's getting closer, he goes again, tries, nothing happens, the guy's right on top of him, he's about to get shot. And somebody calls from, from the bad guy's group, who, and they turn around and they all start leaving. But the point of the story is he said, he looked at all of us and he said, what happened? And people, you know, immediately, well, his safety was on. It's like, no, he checked the safety. It's like, well, his, his mag or whatever. No, he checked that. And some people are kind of looking around. They're starting to run out of ideas. And he's going, in that initial blast of fire, the guy's thumb had gotten shot off. His brain said, I, t- I checked off the safety but the safety wasn't actually checked off because the thumb was not there to actuate it. Mm-hmm. And he followed with, how do you train for that? How do you train for a day where your thumb got shot off? 
randomly, you know, and that's a, it was a really interesting perspective to go how man never even thought about it. And we did some really weird stuff that day. We did all kinds of different drills with right hand, left hand, all kinds of stuff all the way to where in the end we had to run drills where we're doing, um, drawing from a holster, doing mag changes, clearing jams, but they had put a tourniquet on one of your arms for a few minutes before you started. So one of your arms was just non-functional. And so you had to be able to run all of that stuff as though you had lost an arm. That's Mm. a really interesting training method. Let me tell you, um, (laughs) (laughs) but so very fascinating but the thing that i wanted to say to all of that as well really good training really interesting stuff i couldn't handle the headspace it put me in when i Mm. when i spent time with those guys the the way they saw life it it poisoned the way that i saw life and that's a really hard thing so when i see some of these guys going off and doing all that stuff i go maybe they have a reason. Maybe they're in a uh, – there's a lot of people who don't, though. There's a lot of people who see it. It looks cool. They want to be part of that group, but they're not mm. part of that group. So they train like they're part of that group. And and so I'm with you. It's like it doesn't make sense. But so why are you training that I think is such an important question. Is it applicable in your life? Mm. I mean – In a good place. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. I, I, I will uh, teach and train self-defense, self-protection, whatever you want to call it. But I would, I mean, going to that extreme is, yeah, is, is a bit yeah. insane. Well, the thing that they always talk about in that, the, the groups that I've worked with that are like that, is they they always talk about it from being able to ramp up to that level is important because you can always come back down. But if you fail to ramp up in time, mm. then you've missed you've missed it. It's too yeah. late. Um, I suppose they're not wrong. I still struggle with it myself you know i didn't yeah. like the fact that it, after i worked with that then suddenly everywhere i went everybody was the enemy everybody around me was a threat and that's a scary headspace mm-hmm. for a guy who doesn't work law enforcement who is not military who is not in those situations to look around at everybody in the grocery store everybody in the movie theater everybody and this was pre-covid you know everywhere everybody was a threat i mean i can't do this I can't do it. Yeah, I I found when when I was spending more time focused on the self defense, I definitely found that for myself as well. Is is you you think so much about violence that you don't become violent. We've had this discussion before, but everything yeah. everything is is relating to your tra- not your training. Well, yeah, your training, and if your training is for reality, you see it in everything. You know, it, it, it does put you in a space. That, that reality is kind of dark and mm. kind of twisted and kind of messed up. And, and living in that reality, sometimes it's nice to, to draw the curtain shut and not think about some of that stuff. You know, mm-hmm. I work through, I became very interested in, um, women's self-defense and the fact that every art has some women's self-defense seminars or scenarios or things that they can work. And I believe that almost every single one of them are garbage. Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. They, they, you know, they don't attack, they don't approach the, the most important things like understanding your boundaries and setting boundaries and determining what is okay and what is not okay so that you know when to 
trigger a, a response and that response could be to leave. You're like, well, you can't leave. You know, the seminars always start from somebody punches you or somebody grabs your yeah. hair or somebody does all yeah. this stuff. And they never want to talk about the fact that like, hey, maybe we should talk about pre-attack indicators mm-hmm. or how people choose victims or the fact that sometimes it's your boyfriend who just didn't want to say take no for an answer who's who's been mentally pulling down your barriers for the last six months of your relationship Mm. who's now making you feel really guilty if you don't do these things because low hanging fruit is well if he grabs your hair turn around and punch him in the nuts and that's great write me a check for 20 bucks I'll see you next week Mm. and I feel like it's such a disservice it is. I think that comes down to again is is martial artists teaching self defense, and they really don't understand self defense. And I look, we we literally had this discussion. Um, the episode's not out yet, but with with Matt Jardine, uh, or it will be out by the time this one comes out. Oh sure. Um, about you know, when I teach self defense, I've been guilty of teaching it from my perspective, because right, you know, I I mm-hmm. base things that I know, because you know I'm not. I'm not a 19 year old girl and I've not been in a situation that a 19 year old girl would be in, you know? Nope. Um, and, yeah. and a lot of martial arts instructors do that and, but they don't recognize they're doing it. And I think that's the big thing. It's, it's okay to do it because it's natural to do it. Mm. But if you don't recognize you're doing it, you can't even speak to it mm. and you can't draw attention to it. Um, the simplest way I try to draw attention to it is from day one when I get, you know, Everybody needs it, and everybody should think this way. We're, we're speaking about women specifically right now, uh, but it's the same for children, and it's the same for men. But when I get a woman who comes into the dojo or calls the dojo and says, hey, I, I'm interested in learning how to defend myself, what class should I take? Well, in our dojo, we have um, karate and kabuto. We have kale eskrima. We have jiu-jitsu. We have kickboxing. We have tai chi. We have a number of different things, different teachers doing different stuff. Um, and they all have their values. All the ones that I'm involved in have a self-protection focus because I just, that's where I'm at. I'm not competitive uh, at competition. Mm-hmm. Doing things to be good at competition are very different than doing things to be good at defending yourself. And I want to train for a certain perspective myself. And so if you want to train competition, there's, there's other people who will do, do that for you. But with women, one of the things I, I like to start them thinking by mentioning, usually I, I point them towards jujitsu, specifically because women are not attacked the same way men are. Mm. And it's important that while the skills I could teach you in karate or the skills I could teach you in the Filipino martial arts are functional, they are relevant, they do work. Uh, jiu-jitsu is going to start you from a different position. Its priority and its preference is grappling in on the ground. And in a lot of ways, men are usually struck. Women are usually tried to be held or pinned down or, mm-hmm. I mean, sometimes wake up in those situations where somebody's on top of them. And so it's a different, you're not attacked the same way, so you shouldn't train the same way. Mm. And learning how to deal with that as a priority, I think, is important. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it at least opens up the idea that, you know, I don't don't think a lot of people actually take the time to realize that men and women are not attacked the same way. 
No, they definitely don't. don't. I mean, like I said, I'm guilty of that as well until very recently, you know. Sure. And it's, it's, when you think about it, it's so obvious, but it just, yeah, for some reason doesn't, it didn't cross my mind anyway. Mm -mm. I Um, I mean, I did it. I helped teach women's self-defense seminars that now I look at and go, I, I want to call everybody who was there and apologize for, <laughs> and well, and, and I'll tell you a really sad story. Uh, one of the guys that I trained with a different, he ran a different dojo and I offered to help him with his women's self-defense seminar. And I thought it was excellent. He did it for two days. He trained with them. I wasn't there the first day. I just came in to help be an UK for the, for the last part. Mm. And he played a simple game called Get Home, Get Safe. And so you started at one end of the dojo, and my job was to keep you from getting to the other end. Mm-hmm. I could grab you. I could throw you. I could trip you. I could get on top of you. If I got you pinned down and got on top of you, you lost. If you got to the other end of the dojo, you were free. Um, he threw random things like you know, uh, yard chairs and different stuff all over the mat. And, and, and you could grab it. You could put it between you. You could do all kinds of stuff. And I was like, man, this is brilliant. This is great. I really like what's happening here. And I mean, I left bit and scratched and punched and, you know, everything. And I, and I was proud of it going, man, these women are, are incredible. And I thought, I thought this is an excellent thing. And that happened a few different times. And one of the times we, we were sitting talking, he he was telling me about how um, a woman came back to him, not like a week later who had post her self-defense seminar had been raped. And she told him, she said, it was nothing like you said it would be like. And I don't know how he felt, but I was crushed. Mm. Because it, it felt like a failure. It felt like, yeah. and, and that's probably been a big driving force for me to change my perspective on it is just knowing what it could be like is a lot. And, and coming to something that can make you feel empowered, unjustly empowered, and then ending up in a bad situation because you felt like you couldn't be in a bad situation. I just don't want to do that to somebody. Mm. Um, I think that's scary. And, and I think, and then you have other people who just try to apply tools to it. You know, my, my stepmom got a hold of me and she's like, hey, she's like, I want to get something for for the girls she was speaking to of my nieces she's like i want to get something for the girls you know to protect themselves you know i was thinking about getting them pepper spray what do you think and you know and and me being me i realized that so many people that's their instinct is go buy pepper spray Mm. that's her way of handling this situation and i asked her i said so have they ever been pepper sprayed and she's like well no i said so so they don't know what that's like I said, because pepper spray doesn't, it, it doesn't really care who, who is, it affects, though. If you spray it, and Wyoming is windy. Like, we have 75-mile-an-hour gusts right now, um, which is kind of low for this area sometimes. <laughs> and so if you hit that at the wrong time, it's in your eyes. Or, or mm. you spray it in your car, you know, and you think about that going, well, have you thought about the fact that if you hit that pepper spray, it gets in your eyes? And your goal was to get away from this person, get in your car and drive away as fast as you can. Have you thought about how you're going to do that with eyes full of pepper spray? And so many people, and that it doesn't mean the pepper spray is a bad tool. I just think so many people just think it's a solution. I can, I can 
spend $20 and I have a solution to these problems. Mm. And it just doesn't work that way. The thing with that as well is, is having the ability to, you know, to get it out of your pocket or wherever it's held and actually use it. Yeah. You know, if you don't yeah. have any base skill on doing that. And recognizing that you need to. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, even just getting it out of your pocket, even getting to it, uh, we've done some different things like kind of fight to your tools kind of stuff. How do you get to, how do you get to your tool? How do you, uh, you know, I'll have people wear their street clothes so they have the opportunity of wearing, well, if you're, are you carrying, my, my three favorite tools are a pen, a flashlight, and a pocket knife. And I ask people, I say, so why, and I'll ask you, I'll ask you, Greg, I'll ask you, Sue, um, why are those my three favorite tools? I mean, a pen, you can write stuff with it. You can write help. You can, you know, you can write anything. And you can use it as a weapon. Flashlight, you can, uh, people can see it. You can use it as like a, what are they called? Yeah, like a Cooper Town or something they, like that. No, what the, what's the, like or, a flare. You can use oh, it like, like a flare. Like, yeah. You know, yeah, you know, so people know where you are and you can use it as a weapon. And what was the other one? Uh, a knife, just a knife. A knife. I mean, you can do a lot of things with a knife. You can, if you're tied up, you can cut things. I'm very can... proud. I'm very proud of that answer. Oh, really? I tell people that, you know, because everybody, they always, in, when I, I'll mention that in a seminar or something like that, and they'll go, they'll, they'll start listing off all the different ways where you could cut someone, you could stab someone with a pen, you could do all this stuff. And I said, well, no, I mean, you could, you, you sometimes need to write stuff down. You sometimes need to see in the dark and you sometimes need to open stuff. Mm. Uh, because I think the weapon element is secondary. The, the fact is, if it's a thing you never use, it's going to be hard to use it under stress. But if you use a pen all the time, the ability to turn a, a pen into a weapon is easy. But when you're used to pulling it out of your pocket because you use it every day, when you're used to pulling a flashlight out of your pocket because you use it every day, then it's really easy to deploy that. I, mm. I, I've designed a couple knives um, and I was working with one of those guys that does more of the special forces stuff. And I asked him, I said, Hey, do you like knives? He said, Oh no, I hate them. That's why I carry three. And <laughs> we, we had a laugh. And then he, he said, he said, you know, I carry this one. This is my work one. I use it for everything. And he said, and then I carry these two. I never, they never use anything there. So they're always sharp and ready. And my first thought was, so which one's going to be in your hand when pressure hits? It's going to be that one that you use to open every letter, every box, everything. You're going to have two sharp ones that have, that have, are pristine, ready to go, that won't be in your hand because your body's not used to grabbing it. Mm. It's just not used, and it's not, it's not going to happen. So I'd rather use a tool. I'd rather buy a really nice pocket knife that I will use for everything that will maybe hold an edge better or something so that if I had to use it, I'm using the same basic skill mm. of getting it out of my pocket. Um uh, I look at the pen and I go, you know, how many times can somebody, does somebody say, hey, do you have a pen? And before you've even realized that your pen's in your hand. Well, that's a really great deployment skill for a weapon. Yeah. And it's one that you can train right in front of people all day long. Mm -hmm. Firearms, the hardest thing about firearms is there's, it's a depreciable skill that you can only train in certain circumstances. Yeah. I don't remember the last time I opened a letter with a firearm. <laughs> and me neither. <laughs> the, the you knife, could do it <laughs> well you could try the knife thing's interesting because we I mean I don't want to misquote our law over here but I don't think we're allowed to, you're definitely not allowed to carry knives 
but I think it's something to do with you, you can't carry knives that um, lock. Oh, so you can ha you can have a pocket knife as long as it doesn't lock into position, so you can't actually inflict damage with it. Um, uh, I mean, you well, can. I mean, you can also do yourself. Yeah. Oh, wow. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I'm I'm pretty sure it's something to do with that. We'll find out. And if I'm sense. completely wrong, we'll cut it out. But. Um, that makes sense. And I've heard similar things for, for that area and stuff too, where like you're only allowed to carry them if you are going to or from a place where it's required uh, for work or something like that. Otherwise, you sh you're not supposed to have it. Or I've heard a lot of different different things related to that. Yeah. Knife crime over here is is the big one, isn't it, Sue? Yeah. Compared it's, to... It's pretty bad over here at the moment. It's been quite a lot of stabbings. Really? Yeah. I mean, not where we are, but, you know, in London, it's sure. all the time. Well, it's, knives are scary. I, I think mm. more often than not, I'd rather face a gun than a knife because knives are just scary. They're fast. They come from nowhere. Uh, and, and similarly, dispatching somebody with a knife is not the way the movies show it. I mean, you think, especially you think old movies and stuff where somebody suddenly catches a knife in their back and they just go rigid and fall down. Mm. It's not how knives work. No. <laughs> listening to a podcast with Vark Freeborn um, who's a really interesting guy who he wrote a book I did a video on one of his books uh, it was really a really great podcast but he's he grew up in a bad place with bad family and bad people and has killed people and has inflicted a lot of damage on people and has gone through a lot of terrible things saw all that stuff before he was 10 years old you know, and he talks about how um, a person was trying to kill him, and he had to—he had a knife, and he did stab this person, and it took over twenty-one stabs before that person went down. Mm. You think about how long it takes you to stab something one time, and how long it would take you to stab somebody twenty-one times, and just how many bad things could go wrong or how, how you could be dead too before yeah. that's done. Yeah. Um, you know, and I think a lot of people don't think about that when they think of weapons and self-defense and like, well, I could just stab you with this pen. Yeah. And I mean, he might strangle you to death before, before he dies. He might still yeah. die, but you might also, you know, it's not, um, everybody likes to treat the tool like it's the solution. Mm-hmm. And it's really not. Yeah. Well, it's the same. Um, I mean, you know, Ian Abernethy said this a lot. When you're training against someone with a weapon is people focus far too much on the weapon than the person holding the weapon. Yeah. It's Turn like, that I'm gonna, instead. Yeah. I'm going to defend this knife. Well, you can defend the person, defend against the person, not the knife, because if the person's asleep, the knife will also be asleep. That's right. That's right. right. And so yeah. will every other part of them. Yes. That's a big deal. People, you know, people always talk, well, I can just, you know, you spar somebody with a knife or something like that. And then they, they switch hands. You get a control of that hand and they find a way to get into their other hand. Sleeping takes care of that too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Definitely. That got to a dark place for a while there, didn't it, Sue? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's pretty dark. Should we should we go somewhere that might piss off a few traditionalists? Can we do that? Oh, let's do that. Because we like doing that. I mean, um, I mean, you abandoned all cutter, every single cutter you know. You got rid of every single one, right? 
<laughs> I didn't. I didn't do <laughs> no. it. No. <laughs> but according to some of but, the comments that people oh that didn't gosh. watch the video, that's exactly so what you did. So many comments. Yes, so many comments. That, let's talk that about exactly that. Let's, let's talk and about so many people. There were so many people who were excited that I did. There were so yeah. many people that were pissed that I did. Um, it was all over the place. It was like, mm -hmm. it was very interesting to watch that one. It really was. Yeah. To, to watch the unfolding of that. But yeah, yeah, yeah we can talk about that. Let, yeah, let's talk about it. Um, obviously, you haven't abandoned all Qatar. Let's just get that straight. <laughs> first yeah, that's of all. true. That's... Do you want to? Do you want to just give people who may they, they might not have seen the video? Just give them a brief rundown of, of what you've done with Qatar. Yeah. Um, so I, I talked about the fact that when you when you combine the the different styles that I've done, the Okinawa Kempo, I've done two different variants of Okinawa Kempo, um, and Seosho and Ru, um, and Yamari Ru and Kabuto, uh, Mariyoshi Kabuto. When you and some Tai Chi, um, when you add all of that stuff up, I have like over a hundred katas, and that's a ridiculous number. And no matter what, even if you have five kata, if you have fifty kata, if you have, there will always be kata that you do regularly or, or proficient in, and there will always be kata that you don't do nearly as much. Mm. And when you get past, uh, I don't know what a good number would be. You know, if you had six or eight, you you look back in the in, in the old days, people had one to three. That was a high end. Um, you know, now I think, you know, you people could regularly practice. Some systems go all the way up to twelve, and they kind of stop there. Maybe that's a good number. Beyond that, you're you're always going to have these things that you've barely ever touched. You've never really dug deep into. But at the same time, it also subtracts from your training. If mm. I go into class and go, okay, I'm going to run through all my katas one time, and then I'm going to work on something else. Well, even if I just strip down to just the empty hand kata, and it's like over 20, to run through every kata one time might be the whole session. Mm. And then I didn't do anything else. I didn't train. I didn't do partner work. Didn't do pad work. Didn't do, you know. Uh, so where I went with it is... I believe you should have a foundation. I believe that, that the Pinan Katas are, are excellent. And I think they have a really great, uh, I, it, it, in my mind, it's a kata, right? It's broken yeah. into five segments, but it, it's a family that was meant to be together. Yeah. And has a really great foundation. And then there's the Nahachi Katas, which are just absolutely excellent and my favorite. Uh, yeah, and mine. <laughs> and many, and I find, when, especially when it comes to the practical, practical karate people, that I think. I think most people, Nahachi's mm. favorite stuff. Um, so I teach those, the Pinans and the Nahachi. We have we have three Nahachi. Not everybody does. We have three. Um, and then after that, I've decided to take the kata that I have, and rather than you know, for black belt, we would have to you'd have to know like four or five or six of those um, additional kata beyond that to to qualify for your black belt or whatever. Um, and I've decided instead to, by that time, I'll have spent a lot of time with the student and get to kind of know that person, get to kind of know how they fight, how they move, what, what works for them, what doesn't work for them. And that'll be a process that we do together. And then I want to choose a kata out of the katas that I have and give them one. And then they can focus on just that one kata and becoming really proficient in it, not proficient at just being able to perform it, but understanding it as a complete fighting system because mm. 
each kata is its own fighting system. So then at that point, you've got pinans and that methodology, which is kind of a combined fighting system. You've got the Nahachi stuff that has really, really good stuff. Um, and then and then one more. So at this point, you've got effectively three different fighting systems that you can rely on. And my goal with that is to to build somebody whose knowledge surpasses mine in that kata. There's no... I can't know all of these katas and know them as well as somebody who only knows that one and trains it mm. a lot. Um, and then if they all get a different one, then they can later share them back to each other after they've spent time taking them further than I ever will. Mm. Then they can bring them back to each other. And I think that that will be a much better way for those katas to pass amongst amongst the people in, in our group. I really, I do. I really like that. It's very old school. You know, you have, you have an expert in one kata. Go learn from the expert in that one. Yeah. I, I really like that. It's a good way of doing it, I think. That, that is, I, I kind of, I feel the same way. That's good. I, I think that we don't have enough experts anymore. Everybody, all this, a lot mm. of the systems want to go the route of, by this rank, you should be proficient in this. By, by this Don rank, you know, you should know these 15 katas and you should be, you know, no applications from all of these 15 katas. And you're, you're kind of forced generalizing. And yeah. I, I don't think that that really does a lot for the individual who should become an individual. You have individual strengths. You can carry stuff that, that might be better for somebody else. That was something that Asanto said during that seminar. He said he talked about a teacher that said, I'm going to teach you these, these 10 techniques, seven of them. Uh, are are going to be perfect for you. And then he said, there's going to be, you know, two and the numbers I'm probably getting wrong. It's probably not seven or whatever. But he's like, you know, this many are going to be perfect for you. Mm. These few, there's going to be a couple that are good for you sometimes. And then there's going to be some that just aren't good for you at all. But you need to know them so that you can teach them to somebody who yeah. they are good mm. for. Mm-hmm. And I believe in that. I believe yeah. that that's an important thing. If you get rid of the things that are that you're not good at and then go teach people, then they will only have the things that you were good at, but they might not be good at all of them. Mm. Yeah. So then within a few generations, uh, there's just nothing left. How much has that happened that we just don't know about in, oh, it's, I in Barata, you know? I'm afraid to think because I feel like it's massive. I feel mm. like... It must be a lot. Otherwise... Um, you know, otherwise, how could so many teachers be doing different things? Mm. It must be a lot. You know, they've all taken things that they find really good and are all teaching yeah. them differently because that's why we've got different clubs doing things so differently. Mm. Yeah. Mm. And I think we need more of that. I think we need yeah, more I do. clubs doing different things. And uh, and I hope to, to see, you know, I mean, at the same time, it was never... It was never really meant, and this is kind of hard, um, because you kind of build a family inside your dojo. You know, you, you have these people that you train with for years. You become really close to, you share ups, you share downs. Um, so the idea that somebody would train for a long time with you and then go off somewhere else is, is hard. It's hard to think about, but it's also kind of what was supposed to happen. You're supposed to become proficient. You're supposed to develop skills. You're supposed to become your own person capable of of establishing skills that work really well for you and becoming really good as an individual and developing your own methods, your own things, your own strengths, your own philosophies, your own all of that. And and then maybe seeking a new teacher 
maybe passing that knowledge to somebody else. You weren't necessarily meant to hang out in a little echo chamber and and just keep feeding off of each other. It wasn't really meant to be that way, but it is how it is. Mm. Well, it makes sense. I mean, if your teacher specializes in something and, and you're, you know, they specialize in groundwork and, and stuff that's really great for, you know, small, fast people, and you're a, a great big person, you know, great big guy, and you want to do a lot of really big power work, then you need to go somewhere and develop that as well. You need yeah. to be able to do that. You know, you need to be able to, like you say, to play to your strengths and develop Absolutely. them. And I'm not a big guy. So my ability to teach you to be a, a really good big guy is limited. You know, like I, I can't bring out the best in you if I don't possess the qualities that understand what your potential is. I can help and I can try my best. But I'll never be able to give you the same thing that somebody who has your, uh, who's further, who is your sensei. I really like the word sensei, the idea that it's somebody that's further on the path than you, mm. your teacher, just somebody who, who is further than you of where you're trying to go. Well, you need to, you need to make sure that person in your life is the person who's headed a direction that you need to go. And just because you started training with somebody doesn't mean that that person will ultimately be headed on the path that you're headed. And if you determine that your path needs to go a different direction for you, then you need to find somebody who's on that path to be that person for you. Mm. That's yeah. um, just, just if I, I don't want to change the subject at all, but I'm just thinking if you just loop that back to what you were saying about women's self-defense, then that's really helpful, isn't it? Because you can think to yourself, okay, well, if there's something really missing in our game in our dojo, because, you know, me as a sensei doesn't have that information, then we can get someone in who does specialize in self-confidence, handling barriers, handling difficult confrontations, because those are the useful early skills in female self-defense, aren't they? It's about those barriers. It's about diff handling a difficult person who keeps on cornering you by the coffee machine and you yeah. just you can't hit him because he's your boss or he's your co-worker. So it's about getting that person into your dojo who knows that stuff, who specializes is further down that path than you are. So you can all, yeah, Absolutely. because that's not where you're headed as a teacher, but you can see that that's where someone else needs to be headed. Is that what you're saying that you can kind of loop those things in? I think so. And I think the more we encourage that, the better things will be. Mm. And yeah. what it really means, I mean, I'm, I'm a nerd. I, I got into the martial arts partially because I really enjoyed the romanticism of it. Mm. You know, I think I everybody does. Everybody does, right? Yeah. I, I watched the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and the Power Rangers and all this stuff, and I just and it just always seemed awesome. You've got this discipline. Mm. You've got the Mr. Miyagi's. You've got all this stuff. The unfortunate reality is it's romantic. It's not practical. Mm -hmm. um, a really good example tying both of these things in together. Let's look at a really traditional thing and tie it into how negative it is for uh, women's self-defense. And this really traditional thing is this idea of the hierarchy of I am the sensei and then there are the, the, the senpai and then they are, you know, you have this hierarchy coming down and you don't question. If you're told, you do it. Now I struggle with this because I do believe that 
sometimes you can see somebody's potential and realize that if they just listen to you and they just do it, even if they feel like they can't, especially if they feel like they can't um, or don't want to, that it will benefit them if they just do it, right? Like, like a parent knowing that their children should do something even though the children don't understand why it's important. Um, there's value in that. I believe that there is. The problem comes from the fact that somebody telling you, you know, you need to be able to set boundaries. You need to be able to to say no. And that's a really critical component. And then we build in this traditional hierarchy that says, yeah, except you can't say no to me. And mm. I need you when you walk in here, when I tell you to do something, you need to do it. So what I'm doing is I'm training you to not say no, mm. but expecting you in a bad situation to know how. And those don't, those don't compute. They don't, they don't go together. Yeah. Yeah, that's very true. Ian, when he was on, said something very similar, didn't he, Sue? Um, he did. He, yeah. he, he did. Yeah, that's, um, that's, that's in his, his sphere of thought as well, that sense that, you know, you've got a big shouty man at the, at the front saying, everyone will do as I say. But, you know, you know, remember to not listen to big shouty men who tell you to do what they say. <laughs> mm, <right>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they can't. It can't. So there's so many things about... Um, it's exciting to want to keep the beautiful hierarchy of, of the sensei and everybody's excited to go be with sensei and train and, and do all this stuff and develop together and test and, and go through the rankings and it's hard, but we all got through it and all this stuff. It sounds really great, um, but I think we need a a renaissance where clubs are allowed to have inside themselves the ability for individuals to exist and for that not to be weird. Mm. And a, a instructor should be able to, this is something I'm trying to do that I hope to be good at, but it's, it's a challenge anyway, is to allow people to become individuals and recognize their strengths and employ them inside the school so that even though it, it is my school and I do own it, and that doesn't mean that everything that happens in there and everything that's taught has to come from me or be mm. approved by me. And there, most people are not going to want to hear that or do that. That's, that's, that's a no, no fly zone, you know, but I think that it's important because without it, then you're really just forced to leave the school. If you need to, if you need to branch in your own direction and you're not allowed to do that within your school, then your only option is going to be to leave your school. Mm. Yeah. And so then what, what's more important, controlling somebody or keeping them around? One of the things, Joe, Joe and I, we're, we're kind of redeveloping our syllabus at the moment. And one of the things we've kind of said is when you, when you reach first time, we want you to be your own martial artist, you know, because so often you get to first time and then for second time, it's just more of the same. Here's another kata, you know, do another round of sparring, job done. You know, and it's like, <laughs> For us, oh, I kind of want people to to get to first down. They know a lot of stuff. They know how to fight by then. You should really, you know, they know good. They know what kata is. They know how to understand it. But from then on, do your own thing. So their second down grading might be different to another person's second down. 
because they choose different avenues to pursue. So, you know, if Sue gets to first down and she's like, I really like exploring Kata and looking at the application, then that's the focus you'll go in for your grading. So your second down grading will be all about finding what's in Kata and coming up with drills, things like that. Whereas someone who's into like, I just want to, I want to do loads of groundwork then your grade might be groundwork focused. It doesn't mean you neglect everything else, but it just gives people that freedom of choice. Yeah, I think that's really good. Um, it's really, really exciting to hear. So you guys are working on your syllabus and those are, that's kind of a direction you're trying to, to mm. implement into that. Yeah, it's just, yeah, like you said, having that, that freedom and not having it be a dictatorship, I guess. Right. Yeah. Especially when, when we don't, we, we're not the old way. We don't only want three students. Mm. You know, like, well, I mean, if you've got 20 people in a room, it's not really fair to think they're all going to be the same person. They can't be copies of each other. If they all look the same, then I've failed. Yeah. I wish more people would think that way. So I'm working on my syllabus right now, too. So maybe another day we might have to have a conversation about syllabus because I think it's a yeah, hundred percent. It's quite, quite oh, challenging. It really is. Yeah. Yeah. Me and Joe have had numerous conversations on the phone and we're, we're kind of like still at the same point we were. It's yeah. just hard. It's hard to get things from in here to written down in some form of structure. And some it is. Form, you know. and, and it's hard to progress, um, keep things moving inside the dojo at the same time. You know, that's where I'm at right now is is trying to, one of my goals is to, since becoming part of the World Combat Association, is I want to have a World Combat Association approved syllabus. Mm. Uh, it's the direction I want to go. It's the whole reason I got joined in was because the, the mentality was the right mentality for me. So the idea of building a syllabus that matches that exists with or without the WCA approving it, but it's just become a goal of mine to do it. Well, then to work on that, but then also be able to try to keep people moving forward and grading and everything it's really hard. Mm. It's, it's really kind of frustrating because you're like, man, I really want to develop these skills in you, but I also don't want to just not test you for three years. <laughs> do you think this? Do you think, right, we have too many grades, too many belts? That oh, it yeah, creates kind question. of like a, you know, oh, we've got to get this done by this point because you've got a grading to do, rather than just giving people time to learn. You know, like jujitsu, they have what four belts? They have four, they and, have it, four. and it, it lets people just progress without yeah, having to worry the, about it. The Filipino style that I do is kind of the same way. We don't have belts, but there are ranks, and mm. it's the same way. There's there's three, and then black. Mm. Uh, and what jujitsu is the same, right? Right, blue, purple, brown, and then black. Yeah. So three and yeah. then black. Uh, and I think that that works really, really well. the The Filipino one that I do is is very based on the the moral and ethical development of the person. So they, they are, are naturally acquiring skills, right? They're training, so they're getting skill. But then the ranking is heavily based in how the skill and the art is, is manifesting inside of them and how they are changing to to support the ethical and moral structure of the use of the art is is more that kind of character development is deciding when you've re reached a certain rank rather than just a proficiency or a certain amount of known knowledge. You can have somebody that's in there two weeks that is just really, really good because they're just excellent, who is the same kind of person you'd never trust to continue giving more because they just have not 
shown you that they're responsible with what you've given them so far. Mm-hmm. And so I really, I really like that. One thing that happened when we changed, when I took over the school, one of the changes that um, I made and my, my instructor was involved and he supported this was to get rid of colored belts. And we went to, uh, we have white belts and we have black belts and that's all we have. Oh, okay. so, yeah, you wear, you wear one and I, and it came, it's a very traditional way. It's like an old traditional mm. way. And, it, and my, my exposure to that came by Aikido. And I always really liked people saying you can never trust an Aikido white belt because he might be two days away from his black belt. <laughs> <laughs> and, but I really liked that because I got tired of people worrying about their rank and worrying about when they were going to test again and worrying about uh, why this person got promoted to their rank when they feel like they're better than them, which we already talked about how ego is a thing we're trying Mm. to get rid of yet. Here we are um, kind of making it a thing. And so I got rid of it. I kept rank, you know, you have your, your Q ranks and your Don ranks and I went, that's fine. We'll do that. We'll do nameplates on the wall the way, you know, with the Nifurukake, um, and but when you're on the mat, you'll wear a white belt. So I went to a uh, company. I got some really nice black belt quality uh, white belts because I'm like, you're going to be wearing these the, the whole time. And so I'm not going to get you a cheap belt. And then they just wear a white belt until they wear a black belt. The thing that happened is almost immediately, like we sat down. There were people, obviously, who already had worked through the colored ranks a little bit, and there were some people that were new. And we sat down and we talked about it, and I talked about why why I was going that direction, why it was important to me, and and kind of tried to make sure that it didn't feel like I was stripping rank from them. Because I wasn't. I was just mm. changing what color they were wearing. But I was worried about that. Uh, and they understood, and it went really well. And I offered, for the, especially for the people who had made it a fair bit through the ranks. I did offer as they continued to progress, if they wanted to have the collection to have on their wall or do whatever they do with them, that I would still buy them that colored belt. They just wouldn't wear it on the mat. Um, But almost immediately, training became about training. And it wasn't because I dictated. It just happened naturally. They stopped worrying about who was doing what, and they just focused on getting better and building mm. each other up and working hard. And it was amazing. Wow. Really, really good. And so when you say, do you think we have too many ranks? I think sometimes I think, yeah. I, yeah. It, it became, I will tell you, the, the hardest part of getting rid of colored ranks is being the teacher. Because it makes it a lot harder for you to keep track of where everybody is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <true>. And, <laughs> um, and I'll admit that my nature was maximized by this because um, I just didn't test people for a long time after that because I would just forget to test them. We would just, every day they'd show up, they'd work hard. We'd keep working on improving, improving the individual. What do you need to work on? What do you need to grow in? Um, And I'll admit that I just, I I forgot to test people for a while. Is that you forgetting though? Or is it, is it because they didn't need it? You know, I, I think so. I think so. And they didn't, and they, they weren't worried about it. Like nobody yeah. was upset. Everybody was learning. Eventually it was, and I, um, I was fortunate that my instructor was the kind who trained. He, he, your, every test was different. You never tested in a group. You might test with a couple of your peers if they were at the same, if you kind of were right on track with each other. Um, but every test was different because it, because like you mentioned earlier, there are things that you do that 
you need your test to reflect the areas that you need to grow mm. and that you need to be tested in. And so I always really liked that. And I had kind of decided that um, I wouldn't test as frequently. So we have the 10 ranks and, and green belt was about halfway. That's your fifth queue in our system. And that's about halfway. And I, I kind of decided a long time ago that really until then, because I do believe there's value in the pressure of testing. Uh, prior to fifth queue, there's probably just going to be a day where at the end of class you're going to be handed, you're going to be promoted, and that you, there's not going to be a specific test. There's not going to be anything like that. Because the truth is, you're testing every day, you're growing every day, you have already achieved what you're going to achieve, and the test just allows. It's more, almost more for the instructor. It allows you to make sure you've given them everything they should have by now and make sure that that to test their understanding of the things that you've given them and really it's kind of making sure that you've done a good job of giving them what they need um, rather than the other way around so for a for a long time when someone's ready at the end of class they just get promoted um, rather than scheduling a grading or doing something like that mm. you just might be promoted today the truth is you're working towards it every day I like that. So I wouldn't I wouldn't mind less rank because mm. I think you should just focus on becoming better and rank is really just recognition of your progress. Yeah. It isn't your skill. No. It's recognition of it. And it really yeah. only counts in your group under your instructor. Because what I think is an X rank or an X colored belt might not match the school down the street. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's just this thing with a with black belts again, you know, a black belt in your school is not the That's same a as a black belt in our school, and it's not the same as a black belt in someone else's school. It's, it's in, in some cases, it could be wildly different, like wildly. massively different. Yeah. And it can um, even be different inside your own school. And yeah, for sure. Yeah. People are differently abled, right? Some people are incredible fighters. Some people are incredible historians. Some people are incredible um, thinkers. Some people are incredible at pulling uh, skill and development out of people. Some people are better at drawing those things out of people than they are in developing it themselves. And so I believe that you can, you can achieve rank in all of those things. And if that is your strength, oh, mm. I think oh. I finally killed my camera. Um, if okay. that is your strength, then it should be the thing that, you, know, you shouldn't be like, well, I've noticed that all of the birds in the room can fly and you can't. So you and the other dogs in the room don't get promoted. <laughs> you know, like it, it just shouldn't work that way. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, there's, there's so much discussion to be had around stuff like this, I think. And I'm glad people are starting to, to do it now because it's been so long. Of, like you said, just turn up, do your test the same as everybody else and that's that um, right and and people focus a lot on building that particular thing so they they focus on on becoming good at whatever's going to get them to pass the test mm. and instead of um developing what they need to develop and it, it might be the thing that passes a test for them mm. you know and so many people so i i I do some things that not everybody does, I guess, because I I don't provide 
testing requirements. Like I don't okay. tell people what they're testing for. And I don't, sorry, I'm plugging in a different camera. That's okay. That's okay. Take your time. That. How's that? And there we go. Okay. Um, so I don't, I don't provide testing requirements. I don't tell them what they're going to be testing on, uh, or I don't provide it to them. I do tell them. I do tell them what my expectations are, but I expect them to write it down. I expect them to, to maintain it and be responsible for knowing it because what they need to know might not be the thing that the other person might need to know. So just having a sheet that goes, this is what you need for your next rank doesn't really work for me because of the reasons of not everybody being the same. And the other thing I don't do is I don't give people videos of kata. Uh, I'll teach them the kata and I'll film it for them, of them doing it. Uh, sometimes I'll film them, the two of us doing it together so that they have a reference of how I do it and mm. a reference of how they currently do it. But I don't like to just give them a video of here is uh, a video of the kata. And, and maybe that's maybe it's silly, uh, but I like people to focus on, on what they're doing and not, and especially not get ahead of themselves. Like, uh, here's the five peanut. I need you to work on the first one. And then they're spending, you know, every waking minute looking at the fourth one because it's interesting to them. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, but I also, and we've recently changed that, actually. I've decided that with the peanuts and the hachis, that you're going to learn them anyway. Everybody's going to learn them. So now as part of the warm-up, right after the warm-up, we run through all of them one time. If you've never done them before, you might struggle and you try to figure it out. I'm not worried about you learning it. I'm just giving you a chance to go through them all. It gives you a picture of what's to come if you haven't gotten that far. It, it gives you a chance to go through them. It doesn't. It takes, what, five, ten minutes to do all of them one time. Um, and so it doesn't take a long time, but it's a good way to get moving and a good way to go. And then as you continue to learn and focus on your individual kata that you're working on, maybe you're working on Pinot Shodan or something, then that one will naturally become better for you and then the next one will start becoming better for you and the next one will start becoming better for you as you learn them. But you will have started establishing an understanding of all of them in kind of an old way where you just stole it instead of instead of worrying about it. And which means that when, I when it's time for me to teach it to you and teach you the application of it and all of that, I'm not really worried about teaching you the pattern because you've been kind of just stealing it at the beginning of every class. Mm. So we can just focus on getting down to partner work and things that you can't do by yourself. Yeah, I really like that idea. That's lovely. And it's been an interesting process for me because it's been a whole bunch of allowing myself to let go of ways that I used to do things or the ways things were for me when I came through like that, that idea of everybody knowing all the way through the Nahachis. I mean, that was, by the time you got to the third one, you were, you were working, you were in your brown belts by then. Right. So now I'm going to have people who are white belts doing Nahachi. That is not common. Um, and, but I think it's going to be really good and I'm really excited about it. Mm, I, I definitely, yeah, that's a great idea. Actually. I'm going to steal that. <laughs> when we actually have when we actually have classes again yeah yeah, yeah I, I think that it's going to have interesting potential for allowing because we've also kind of reduced the time we have so many things going on that we it's an hour class so you know we've got five ten minutes of warm-up and you know if you spend all of your time trying to teach every little thing about every little thing then an hour goes by really quick yeah, oh, yeah. 
And so if by the time I'm teaching you Pinan Sandan, you can already go through the kata, you just don't know what you're doing, then I can spend that entire class just focusing on teaching you drills and teaching you stuff like that. Um, and that is better. Mm. It's a better use of time. Yeah, for sure. And I'm not really mm. worried about you being good at it until we've spent time training you to be good at it. Yeah. Up until then, you can just worry about pantomiming what everybody else is doing. Mm. Yeah. And heaven forbid you guys decide to get together and, and work on it on your own. <laughs> <laughs> Sacrilege. Yeah, how dare they? Yeah, yeah. That's a really interesting uh, a really interesting take. I, I like that. Yeah, I like that. It, it just builds familiarity with what's coming. It's always exciting to see what's coming in the future. Um, and it's, yeah, cat is a great way to also get loose. Um, I think uh, Matt was talking about that in the last one as well, was just using mm. kata as a means to develop strength and range of movement as well. So it kind of allows for that to be brought into that kind of just trying it out and getting used to the movements as well, doesn't it? Yeah. And it's just, I mean, it's such a good way to move, right? I mean, motion is lotion, as they say, and they have like movement breeds like limberness. I mean, it's just a really good way to open. Um, I was listening to one of your podcasts the other day where you guys were referencing one of Joe Rogan's podcasts. It was podcastception uh, where somebody was talking about doing light rolling in jujitsu rather than warming up. And then when I went to jujitsu on Thursday, that's all I wanted to do for warm up. I didn't want, I didn't, there was a, war, I was, there was a, what we had a warm up. I wanted people to work on some stuff, but that's what I wanted to do. I was like, I really like that idea. If we could just roll lightly, except I knew the group I had would not roll lightly and it would, mm. it would not go very well. Yeah. But I like the idea of doing a little bit of something like that. And I, and so I, I circled that back to my idea of the katas and went, that's just a good way to, to establish movement mm. uh, the beginning of class and then go from there and hopefully it means that it'll be exciting when people start seeing other people working on katas that aren't part of that group yeah there was a virtual tournament uh, where people could perform kata and then and there was it was a virtual thing so you'd record it and send it in or whatever um so people got a chance to see people doing kata that nobody had seen before um because they because some of the students when they knew their, you know, Kankudai or something like that. Um, some of the other students just had, had never seen those katas before. So it was really exciting for them to see the future, even though that future might look different for them. Mm. Yeah. And, and I think, I think I've remembered rightly that the, there's an, an element of the katas are being put in that order. Like that's a black belt kata and that's a brown belt kata, but that's not necessarily how it always was. That's, no, you know, no. that's that's yeah. been relatively relatively recently imposed mm. so the fact is you know a couple of hundred years ago you could well have been starting on a much later kata right well isn't you that know? interesting by itself just the idea of yeah. a much later kata uh, yeah I did a video so about that at one point yeah so they're only later because that's how we've arranged the syllabus to be is that's that right greg you know so it doesn't actually follow that you can't do it at all no yeah right. absolutely not yeah, I, I started to have trouble with the idea of the word advanced kata. Well, that's advanced yes, kata. same. It, yeah, it's exactly. not an advanced kata. It's just it's just later different in the curriculum. I right. could take I could take a person who's never done martial arts before. Give me a day, and I'll teach them unsu. Yeah, and they'll be able to do it. They won't have a 
damn clue what it means, but they'll be able to do it. Absolutely. And if you does started that, the does that make training them, them to game? fight that way, yeah. Um, and that was the thing you chose to give them, and those, and you gave them those kind of drills and those kind of skills, mm. and that was the first thing they ever learned. It wouldn't make them any better or worse than somebody mm. who started off with a peanut. Yeah. It, yeah. It's arbitrary, but it's built it that way. I know for us, like, peanuts went first, Nahachis went after, and they were considered advanced, be- starting to be advanced because they, um, like, the second and third were considered advanced because that's when you were heading to your black belt. And But then there's other schools where Nahachi's the first thing you ever learn. Mm-hmm. So it's not an advanced kata. No. It's just advanced in the curriculum. Yeah. Arbitrarily held from you is really what it is. I've chosen not to give it to you because you're not ready. Well, why am I not ready? And I think that's what kind of drove me to be excited about having everybody work all of them is is helping me get a, get rid of the programming that I got from the old way of teaching mm. that some people aren't ready for something yet. It's, well, why aren't you ready? Yeah. Why can't you learn Nahachi? Um, it's not, well, because you haven't learned Pinangodan. Yeah. I just feel like as well. the wrong way of thinking. Yeah, there's it's nothing the... about learning Pinan Godan that's going to stop you being able to move sideways in Teki. Mm. You're moving yeah. sideways in Teki is not holy grail. Most of us can move sideways. <laughs> oh, no, I was going to say, it means stuff to us because we know we have this idea of what's advanced and what's not because we've been told that. Someone who walks yes. through the door, it's their first class, has no concept. If you say to them, I'll use Ansu again because it's widely considered like a super advanced special mm-hmm. cutter. If, if you say, right, first lesson today is you're going to learn this. It's what everybody does. You know, don't question it. They'll, they they'll do it. You know, they don't, have, they don't have a clue. They don't know that it's, you know, a fourth Dan cutter. They have no idea. And you could say to them that, that you know, the Taikyoku series is the most advanced cutter you'll ever learn. Right. Or, Take a or, lifetime to master. Yeah. But they don't know. They don't know. <laughs> they don't know. They, they have no clue. It's only us oh. because we have this concept that... That gave me two things. First is a story from, from that Inosanto seminar where he went through all this stuff. And I mean, a group of varying ages, most uh, later teens and up. Uh, and it just absolutely overwhelming. I kind of told you how it was just drinking from the fire hose. Absolutely overwhelming. Mm-hmm. And he looks at us and he goes, he's like, our kids do this. He's like, you know why our kids do this? Because nobody's told them that they can't. Mm-hmm. Which I really, really like that. Because you're sitting there being like, I can't remember all this stuff. And he's like, yeah, nobody told them that they can't so that they do it because they just they haven't told themselves they can't and nobody else has told them they can't. So they do. Half the time we can't do things because we've told ourselves we can't, not because we mm-hmm. actually can't. Um, and then so then you could argue that the way we have cut us structured is really probably just so that we can have a better idea of who is where. Uh, back to the colored belts and all that stuff. It's it's a nice structure. Okay, if you know beside die, then you're not a beginner. Okay, it's a, it's kind of a if this then that. If you know this, then you're not a beginner. If you're wearing a green belt, then you're not a white belt. Mm. Um, it makes it easier for these large groups and things like that, um, which were never problems in the old days because you didn't have large groups. Mm. Mm-hmm. And you, you, when you're only working with one or two people, you know everything they know because you're not getting them confused with the guy next to them. Yeah. Suddenly made me think that when people have big seminars, they should require that everyone wear a white belt. 
Yeah, I, I like I so that, that you don't get that judgment of mm. of people who don't know each other only going to train with other black belts. Well, that's like Jesse with that's his his Jesse uh, and Kip with the the pink belt. The pink belts, yeah, yeah, which yeah, yeah there's a lot awesome. of merit to that. Just get rid of rid of it, especially in places where it's helpful for people to um, come together and not judge um, by by grade, like you say, because it's so different. Anyway, well, I like what, what you said with the that idea of, you know, people going to a seminar and then all the black belts working with other black belts. Yeah. Um, there, there are two things that I really like. I like to take a class. Like if you think of all of your grades in a line, I like to fold it in the middle so that the most advanced person is working with the least experienced person and, and, and up through, right? So just fold it right in half. The people towards the middle are going to be working with people of similar rank because, well, they're, they're kind of middle. But then you got the newest person working with the longest person, and I, I, I like it that way. It's just how I how I enjoy. And at seminars, one of the things that I have for my students is I tell them if we go to a seminar together that I don't want to see them working with each other. Like now is your opportunity to work with people you've never met before. And so if you spend this seminar working with each other, it's a waste of time. I mean, it's it's not, but. It is. It's a waste of an opportunity because you can always mm. come back from the seminar and get together next weekend and work with those with the people that went with you. Yeah. So spend your time working with people that you won't get to work with next weekend. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, actually. I've never thought of it like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But then, yeah, I mean, I've, I've, I've had seminars before, though, where I've, <laughs> where I've gone on my own and I've ended up working with people and I'm like, oh, for God's sake, <laughs> this, is, this is not good. Oh, but you know, I I, I like to I, rotate too. I, I like to to switch. Every time a drill switches, I try to find somebody else. Uh, mm. Andy Kidd, when we went to one of his seminars, one of the things he did at the end was what he calls a chaos drill, where you just everyone goes for everyone. You just walk around, so you get to go with everyone. Um, oh, sure. You know, you, you set a time limit, and one one half is attacking, one half is doing the drills. And you just walk around and go with everyone. That I really like that because you find like out what works. Speed dating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that even better than chaos drills. I suggest. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It'll get a good laugh before everybody goes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Mm. I like that. I think that's really good. Uh, and that and it benefited me at that. I've I've mentioned that in a Santo seminar a lot, but it was it's something that's taking me years to unpack everything that mm. we've gotten. Uh, but one of the things that was great about changing people is is uh, we had different experiences. So there were people that were really good at the Wing Chun elements that we worked that day. There were people that were really good at the Eskrima elements. And so if I had only ever worked with the people that I came with, well, we didn't know any of the stuff we were learning. Mm. And instead we went, um, you know, and sometimes it's just a matter of asking. Like I was working with a guy and he's going, man, I'm really struggling with this. And I'm like, well, Inosanto's right there. Why don't we just go ask him? And we did. And you know what? He just worked with us and helped us learn it. Mm. And everybody's afraid to do that. But that was yeah. the best experience ever because getting to feel him do it was so much different. And all it took was asking. Mm. That was it, you know. And and then when I was getting back with the students that I went with and talking to them, he's like, oh, yeah, and I got to work with this person. And that person had obviously done a lot of the Wing Chun because when I did that, she was really able to help me. The stuff that she knew really helped me figure this out. And yeah. then he took that and helped me figure it out. 
from what she had given him. So he came with different experience. I came with different experience. And then we were able to combine all of that. And it just works really good. Mm. I miss having seminars and group sessions like that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, same. this is what seminars look like right now, right? It's just Zoom sessions. and Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's just a little bit different, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. I I miss all that stuff. I had a seminar planned that I was going to teach, actually, and it got canceled. Um, and there's been a handful of seminars that have, you know, that I was going to go to or whatever that have been canceled. And mm-hmm. Just a bummer. Yeah. Hopefully soon we can get back to it. Yeah. yeah. How's it I going so. in your in your part of the world? Um, what are the has has it going? Things opening up more for you guys over there yet? Where are you at? Pretty good. Pretty good. We have had we only had a short stint where we trained on Zoom. During that we lost the space that we were in and we had to get a new space and and we were able to do that, but we were uh, the weather was nice when it was kind of first happening around here cuz because the U.S. was kind of slow in in responding to all of this. Um, so it was pretty warm, and so we, we were able to do some training in the parks, and we were doing different stuff. The nice thing about Eskrima is we had larga mono drills, long-range drills, where your goal is to be as far away from a person as you can be while still being able to hit them. Well, if you're equally, if you're both doing that, it's close to six feet, so you're keeping kind of far away, and you have a, a motivation to stay that far away because they were swinging sticks and machetes at you. So you might not want to get any closer anyway. <laughs> but uh, so Imagine that. You walk, walk, walk down the local park and you just see machetes. It was too. It was. People would come come walking through and, and just kind of like, what is happening? <laughs> it was pretty good. Just the sounds of machetes clanging and stuff. Mm. Can I just ask, do you need to like, uh, just, just, I don't want to derail your story. I really want to hear the rest of that, but do you have to like put up a sign or something that says it's okay? We're practicing. We're not actually trying to kill each other. Do you have (laughs) to tell anyone that you're doing this stuff out in public? No, I haven't. I was really worried about that. that, The Eskrima stuff, when I first started teaching it, I actually taught it in a park originally. And I was like calling my police friends being like, am I going to have to like call people and let them know? Or like, and he's like, oh no, don't worry about it. Like, it's fine. And I was like, I was like, do I need to like call ahead? And it's like, no. And I mean, it probably doesn't hurt that I'm in Wyoming. Like I said, we can open carry and stuff. I mean, it's not uncommon to see somebody with a desert eagle on their hip or, or a, a big Bowie knife or something like that. Like, it's just a different place. People are, mm. you know, um, so that's already maybe helps a little bit. Yeah. I okay. think the thing that helped when we were training in the park is, uh, because we were all doing drills and there was some uniformity to it, it was probably pretty obvious that it, because it didn't just look like chaos, hey. you know, and I was especially trying to control it at that time because I was trying to maintain good distance and that kind of stuff. So it was really structured, mm. uh, whereas usually it'd be a lot more free form and a little more chaotic. Uh, uh, so no, we, we, we got weird looks, but, but nobody, we didn't get the cops called us on us or anything. but no so now we're we're able to train together um we have to wear masks and which is funny a lot of people have been up in arms about you know wearing masks i can't believe you guys are going to do that and it's like well i mean people train for different elevations by wearing breath restrictors and stuff Mm. all the time like like it's not it's not a new thing for performance so what have you um 
we've got to we've got to wipe down the mats after every class and and sanitize and uh, if we use pieces of kit, we've got to we've got to wipe them down or 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 if they can't be wiped down well, then they've got to kind of be quarantined for a while. But for the most part, we're able to train in groups. Uh, we're able to do uh, partner work. We're able to do some pad work. Um, I'm I'm feeling really bad telling y'all you guys. You guys I was going to say yeah. Because- like it probably, it's like I'm able to do all the stuff you really wish you were doing right now. Yeah, it's like down this guy. Why do we? Why do we have him on Sue? Yeah, it's just, so bad. Just quite hating like, you. You guys okay. want to come to Wyoming? Like, I mean, yeah, there's room. I mean, yeah. Like, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. See, um, we can't do any of that. Yeah, at all. nothing. No, nothing. Can you guys even get together for like kata and stuff, or like nothing? No, I mean. You well, can, no, we you can't, can meet can with we? one other person. One other person, yeah. You stay two meters apart and you can train, but you couldn't, so you couldn't do any kind of actual training with that involved that person. So, um, and groups okay. is groups is non existent. Oh, so you guys are forced to go back to the old school of one teacher, one student. Mm. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. and it's got to be like Funakoshi style where. Where the teacher's just sitting on the porch, probably smoking a cigarette while you while you just do your kata until you, until yep. you can't walk. I that's mean, amazing. why aren't that's we doing exactly this? what Joe does? Yeah, he sits yeah, on, his, say, sits yeah. on his step and smokes a cigarette. Yeah, yeah. See, see, that's where you can tell him that's very Filipino. Yeah. And I have his flip flops on, and and you know, and I mean, Funakoshi talked about that. He talked about being like in the moonlight doing kata, you know, until whatever. I I think we just go to the books and go well. I mean, technically, this is within restriction, so. Mm. Yeah, do it. <laughs> we'll just call it the, the Funakoshi Chronicles or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or, or you do it like true, true style, according to the, the all of the myths and legends, right? And you just wait until the sun goes down and then you just do it in the dark with nobody seeing and you do it in secret. That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah, we could do that. <laughs> and yeah. Just tell them we're just, it's, it's very traditional. We yeah. we have to keep it secret, and we do our katas as dances and performances in town. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. we're busk, we're busking with the busking with the hands. That's it. That's it. <laughs> we could definitely do that. Catter in the moonlight. That's right. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> mm. Yeah, we've been, like, we've had a couple of times that they've restricted how many people, and it's like I think the lowest came down to ten. Oh wow! Okay, uh, which was very helpful because I mean, right now I think you can have groups of like 250 inside in a gym or something like that. Oh really? Uh, which is for us, I mean, our group that's basically no restriction because mm. we're nowhere near 250 people. When it they had 25 for a while and that got kind of close. We had some if everybody turned up on the same day, which never happens, uh, then 25 would have been a little hard, mm. uh, but. You know, 10 was the hardest, and then now 250 is almost no restriction. And there's a bunch of weird things. Like there's there's sports, school sports. I see kids' sports and stuff where they all get together, and they have to wear masks. They have to be apart until they're playing, and then they can take the mask off when they go play football with each other. Um, I think I saw that with, like, the judo school. Like you, you had to wear your mask and everything unless you were on the mat. I was like, no, wait a second. You have to wear your mask until you go touch people? How does this yeah. work? <laughs> God. So I don't, I don't fully understand restrictions. We just try to keep it, keep it good, and communicate with people, and mm-hmm. and and just try to make sure if somebody's sick, they stay home. And and it's it's mostly on our system around here anyway. And we just want to do everything we can to make people feel comfortable. We decided early on that our method was going to be 
whatever makes whatever the lowest comfort level is is the comfort level of the group that we if you were particularly concerned about something that the group should rally together to support that mm. rather than make you feel uncomfortable and that's kind of just been the way we go so as as that comfort has shifted around then we've just tried to stay with that that's a really good way of doing it yeah that's a really good way of doing it yeah seemed like a good time to teach some some uh um, some ethics, you know, some ethics and stuff too. Like, hey, yeah. here's how you treat people. Treat people good because you just should do that. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think, uh, you know, we were um, in summertime, I think we had different options. Like we could have potentially trained indoors, but there were far too many people who that just was not safe or felt good for at all in sure. our class. They just just not okay with it and so you know I think that I think that that's what helped Joe make the decision that we were going to train outside mm -hmm. as much as possible until until we really were in the depths of autumn here and it was just too dark and too cold and raining sure. too much at which point we stopped entirely um, and then everything shut down again anyway but you know so we had a long time training outside which was you know it wasn't perfect the ground was uneven but the point That's was good, that we, it was yeah. I mean, I really liked that. You know, he had um, everyone was just wearing casual clothes and just being outside in the sun and spaced well out. And the thing is, we actually got to be together and train. Yeah, yeah. You know, that was that was the main thing about it was that I think it was just really good for us all to be able to be the, together. The hardest part is just not being around each other. It really is. And even when you were doing, you know, doing Zoom meetings and stuff like that, we did. Um, we had kind of an interesting thing when we were when we were stuck at home since we weren't able to physically train as easily, right? It's hard to train over Zoom and stuff. What we did, I've actually been meaning to do a video on this and kind of talk about it a bit, but uh, we developed a kata while we were doing it. And so we took the time to basically work through the history of, of how kata develops mm. to, to my understanding. And so it took the group through the idea of, of starting with, we started with, well, what do you want? To, if you had a student, what would you want to cultivate in them? What would you want them to be able to do? And then what drills and, and things would you use to develop those skills in that person? So these are stages that we went through. What do you want to accomplish? What are your goals? Because your your goal, like some of the goals came out of like, well, I want to protect other people. I want to get home safe. Well, these, you know, are not equal. You're, they're, they head different directions. If you're if the mini mart's getting robbed and your goal is to get home safe, then getting involved is not towards your goal. Mm. And so you need to always work towards your goal. So we established a goal, established what you would expect, what kind of skills you would want that person to have, what kind of drills you would use to grow those skills, to, to cultivate those skills. And then the order in which you would teach them to develop that person in, in an order, right, to give a structure to it. And then using that, developing a template for the kata itself. So we're like, we're going to build a kata. And then it was like eight, ten weeks later that the, the actual kata existed because there was so much time of actually developing drills and developing skills and, and thoughts and things before you even ever really worried about what pattern it looked like. Um, and so we ended up, and the, 
I was working with somebody uh, in Japan at the time, and, and I asked her, and she she gave me a name, and I'm gonna I'm gonna forget. It's Kakuri. Kakuri was the name of the kata, and it means to stay apart. Um, and so it was very appropriate for mm. for the quarantine kata um, that we developed. But it was kind of a really really fun process to go through and and establish really an understanding because then it, it helped. Because now they have a really good understanding of how, when they're looking at the katas that they're learning, that it's not just a temp, it's not just a, a pattern that was developed. That it, it meant yeah. something and it had a structure to it and it had a reason behind it, mm-hmm. and helped them understand how to pull it. So if they see a new kata, then they get an idea of how to break it apart. Now, by having gone through that, so that was kind of an interesting, fun thing to do, kind of different different ways to approach the time off and stuff. Mm-hmm. We could have more discussions and intellectual conversations about the martial arts rather than just, okay, well, let's work some conditioning drills today because that's yeah. about the easiest thing to do on Zoom is just lots of push-ups and kick combinations and different stuff. Yeah, I love I love stuff like that, like the hows and whys of kata. It's super interesting to me. So here's one. here's one you need to do. Um, I did this one a while back and it was a lot of fun is I gave all of the students an, an assignment to build their own kata that recorded the things that I had taught them. So you, so you need to go give your, your students a, an assignment to build a kata that represents what you have passed to them. Mm. The best part is getting to watch them all because they don't, don't be involved with it at all. So, you know, yeah. Don't be involved. Just go. I don't care what it looks like. I don't care what it is. I just want you to think about what you've learned, mm-hmm. what you've gotten from me, because what you've gotten from me is different. Super fun to see mm. what everybody comes up with. And they don't have to remember it. And I told them, I was like, you don't have to remember it. We're not building it into the curriculum. It's, it's literally just an exercise. But yeah, um, it was kind of that's a fun one. The stuff I love about that is you get to see how styles form as well. Because yeah. you, you get to see people doing the same concepts and they might look completely different, but the, the information is the same. And what was really fun is there were people that were really good at pulling out the curriculum. Really, they looked at the, the curriculum that they had learned. And then there were people that spent more time trying to pay attention to the way that I fought mm. and the things that I put emphasis into. So they're kind of more represented parts of my I'm like, really? Do I have to do that a lot? I'm like, yeah, I mean, you do that every time we fight. I'm like, I didn't know that. You know, like it's, <laughs> it was really interesting uh, to see everybody kind of went different directions. What they, even just what they interpreted as what I taught you um, varied from exactly what's in the curriculum to to just little lessons that they, things or things that were unique and individual to their, their thing. Kind mm. of fun. Yeah, that's really interesting, isn't it? Is you find out what landed with somebody really well yeah. and also potentially why it's landed with them really well. Did it speak to something that they needed to learn or something that they've just found really easy for them to just assimilate and just works for them? Like you were saying at the beginning, what works for you often? You know, or you were saying what what works for you? How can you apply it in many different ways? And it's like you find yourself when you're testing things, don't you? Always going to the often to the same moves because they work for you so you'd bet that kata to reflect either that or yeah or something that you've taught a great deal it's really interesting exercise yeah Mm. 
it's it was really surprising. I had no idea what to expect, um, and it was incredibly fun. And it was fun for the group too, because then they all got to get up and perform their individual kata, and some of them would kind of talk about it a little bit. Some of them were shy and just wanted to stand up and do it and then sit back down. Um, but everybody did it, and it was a lot of fun. And it was just really interesting to see where people went. And it was a little bit historical too, because some of the people when they were like, when they put it together, they showed slices of time. So if they'd been there longer, what they included in their cut, that might not be something that was like, well, we, it was just might've been something that we used to do or a drill that something that, that maybe we don't do anymore, but they remembered it. And so it became part of the kata because it was something that stood out to them that they remembered. So it also started yeah. to show some history of things that had changed over mm-hmm. time. Um, where some of them, you know, the newer students might be like, I've never seen that before. And be like, oh, yeah, we used to do that every class or we used to do this. Um, yeah. Did they name them? Did they name them? Some of them did. Some of them. Call them storming the fortress and <laughs> pulling right, the right. beard. <laughs> pulling the beard. That's the one. And, yeah, and somewhere I've got because that was also during the time where um, I recorded every class too because I wanted to be able to because that was one thing I don't have is I don't have video of when I trained I don't have video of me training with my instructor and stuff I do now but I don't want from when I started mm. um, so I was recording all the classes so that they so there could just be a library of classes that for me to be able to go look back at what I taught and and that sort of thing but also as something that could be passed on to other people later of like hey here's here's everything we did um, or memories. And I took some of those videos and, and for some of the students that were promoted in the Eskrima stuff, I actually put together a video of them training through the years uh, and kind of showing them getting to that rank, which is kind of a fun thing to do that we wouldn't mm. be able to do if we didn't film it. So somewhere there's video of all those katas um, that exists. Probably good luck finding it for me, but uh, <laughs> it exists. <laughs> Yeah, that is a that's that's something we should definitely try when we when we can get back to it. It's a fun idea. Yeah, mm. be interesting yeah. to see what it comes what comes out of it. Yeah, mm. yeah, it's a great idea. It's a great idea. When we were um, training with Joe um, towards the end of summer, we had uh, a couple of classes where it rained, and so we were doing a whole bunch of drills um, up against the fence under a tree, trying oh, to nice. stay out of the rain, and and uh, we were saying that night you you really could make a kata and call it i don't know under the tree and you could make it real small real tight like techie but well, i was gonna say i didn't know if you know this but that's exactly what no hanshin techie was for was for fighting under a tree with the back of the wall yeah that's what it was for despite what you may know that is what it was for <laughs> that's what it was for yeah you mean it's not it wasn't uh um, fighting on top of a boat or fighting in a hallway or no, I think it was so against many, there needs to be a collection. There needs to be a collection of all of the different interpretations people have given katas over the mm. years. There's, that should just be like, like a thing. There should be a list somewhere of all the different. Yeah. Maybe we should collect all the ridiculous like applications people have assigned and yeah. Oh yeah. my God. So, Definitely. so there's a thing that, um, now, if I'm going to say it out loud, then who knows what will happen if I if I do it or stuff now. But I've had this idea for a while. Of, there's so many good videos of, like, technique and training and all that stuff. And I've done a little bit of that. I obviously do mostly very different kinds of videos. Um, but I thought that it would be really fun to do videos called Hollywood Bunkai. 
where the only bunkai that gets shown is stuff that would be good in movies. Yeah. Are really, oh, really right. flashy or really weird. And um, like I've got this this particular kind of head and arm lock to face smash that comes out of Nahachi that's really fun. And just only stuff that you'd be like, yeah, I mean, that's like a like a 0.1% chance that you'd ever actually do that. Like, perfect. Yeah, yeah it's Hollywood. Could you, could you put movie key eyes in as well? You know, oh, with it. Perfect. Yes. <laughs> only 70s style, though. Like, it has mm-hmm. to be at least 70s or older style sound effects. Yeah, yes. absolutely. But that really long key eye that just like, you know, as the other guy goes down, it's shaking with it and it lasts about 10 seconds. <laughs> Now I have it in my head to where like things keep going, but you still hear the key eye happening until the video's over. Like, it cuts to black and the key eye's still going. Great. <laughs> yeah, that would be great. Yeah, so you got to put that in. Um, we we had a, I, I oh my gosh, I've completely lost who it was. I think it was a. I think it might have been a Facebook conversation. Anyway, wherever it was, I'm so sorry, I've completely forgotten to call out the name of the cata. In English, that was on. Yeah, it was, that was with. Um, Who was it? Where was that? It was Joe, wasn't it? it was Joe? Oh, yeah. Was it yeah. with Joe? That was, was it. One of the episodes. Yeah. And then, and then people were saying, "Yeah, that would be great." You know, Stormy and Fortress. It's amazing that we haven't done that. Really, you know, you think about it. There's so many schools that that they say upper block front stance. They don't, mm. you know, use the Japanese terminology, but they still call the katas by their names. It is kind because of because it sounds ridiculous happened. in English. That's why <laughs> they do. They do. Well, they I was just thinking the like, like ridiculous. in the rain under the tree, like yeah. has a, has a very poetic thing. Like Funakoshi would be proud of something that had that name. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> some sort of some sort of beginning to a haiku. Like I think that's perfect. Yeah, Funakoshi with his strange names. Yeah. <laughs> that's why oh. with the, the spot discussion on Facebook, the Gojiru have way better. English sounding cutter names than than we do. Like they have like right. yeah, because he changed smash and tear and rip and destroy. Oh and yeah, ours is like flight of a swallow. Yes, to polish a mirror. Yeah, and... to polish a mirror. <laughs> You're like, wait, am I in the right class? Mm, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we're doing what? Oh yeah, we're polishing mirrors. Mm. That's what we're doing. Yes. <laughs> Mind you, it could have meant something different because if you're going to clean someone's clock, isn't that a thing? Oh, yeah. It could be something like that. Well, and that was the thing, right? Because he was, because Shoto was his pen name because he was a mm. poet. Um, he wrote poetry or whatever. So, like, all of his names have very, like, poetic names. Yeah. Like, poetic names yeah. To but, I mean, polishing a mirror for him might have been might punching have been somebody in the clock. nose. Like, cleaning yeah. someone's clock means, yeah. I mean, it is exactly what that means to me now. Like, I'll never unhear that. Yeah. <laughs> Makes way more sense. Oh, you want to say that one more time. I'm polishing your mirror. <laughs> <laughs> okay, then. I've got my window lean ready. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Flight. Don't make See, me topple this is a folding a... screen. There you go. This is taking a whole new meaning of Funakoshi's names. Flight of a swallow is someone being thrown through the air. Right, through the air. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yes. Yeah, storming a fortress. A storming a fortress is Funakoshi robbing someone's house. <laughs> Storm, storming in, <laughs> sigh in hand. Have this going through, yeah. taking their stuff. <laughs> no How did you fund your school? Well, I stormed yeah. the fortress. <laughs> I stormed the fortress. In Polished the a few mirrors. 
Post. <laughs> yeah. There we go. Oh, it's so good. But I still have a peace, I still have a peaceful mind. Numbers still one through five. Peaceful mind. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I don't. I can only get to level three. <laughs> My Let's, transcendence um, has not come. <laughs> Let's ask. Uh, we were talking about Hollywood Bunkai. We asked this of most yes. guests. I was just going to say. Yeah, favorite uh, martial arts film, story, book, whatever. Oh man. Okay, so I mean, one of my favorite martial arts movies is The Red Belt. That's probably one of my. Oh, my that's favorite right. series. I've forgotten about that. Yeah, when it comes to like thought provoking and like kind of deep, Red Belt's one of my absolute absolute favorites. I remember that film though. Yeah. Yeah, super good, super good. Yeah, can you, can you tell tell it a little bit? What's the story on that one? I've not heard. Yeah, it. so the story is, and I'll probably say his name is like Chuito Ijiofor is the main character. It's got like Tim Allen in it and stuff mm. like that. Um, and he is a jujitsu instructor, and um, he has he's he's got a school. He's teaching students. He has a woman come in off the street on a rainy night, kind of thing. Obviously, really shaken up about something. Um, she ends up getting into a bit of trouble, breaks a window in, in the dojo and all of this, and you kind of come to find out that he's not necessarily doing good for money, but he's trying to – he's got that kind of peer of heart sensei thing happening where he's teaching and doing all of this, and, and money and being able to, to do all of that is secondary to what he's doing. But it kind of – it goes through – Red Belt itself refers to the belt of the founder, right? Which, coincidentally, played by Dan Inosanto. Um, and there's there's going to be a tournament where the the founder's going to be there and the Red Belt's going to be there and all of that. Don't want to say too much more than that because most of it is, is plot-based. and But it's just really good. It's not – there's not actually hardly any fighting. Um, there is some, all mostly towards the very end. Uh, but it's just mostly like if you are a martial artist, especially someone who's done it for a long time, um, they just did a really good job of capturing the mentality and some mm. of the philosophy to it and some of the struggles that you have when it comes to integrity and money and and all of that. Um, really, really good. Really good. That sounds fantastic. I remember when the trailer came out, whenever the film, it must have been. God, it was years ago. But I remember the trailer coming out, and I remember watching the trailer going, this looks amazing, I can't wait to watch it. And then it took me ages to find it after it came out to actually yeah. watch it. But yeah. Happened into it randomly. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good choice. Very good choice. Yeah. I was going to ask a completely different question um, as well, which uh, just come to me. If you were... I know this might be a terrible question, but if you were going to give someone advice now as to someone who is listening to all of this and thinking, yeah, I really want to get started in martial arts or something, where would you, in the present day, where would you, knowing what you know, tell them to start? Ooh, that's really good. Um, this is not a terrible question. It might be terrible to answer it, but it is. Yeah, I mean, question. it might be far too big to to answer. I don't know. I mean, I think... Honestly, I think one of the hardest things that you will ever do is walk through the door. And I would say if I met someone right now who wanted to get started, the benefit that I have is I run a school so I can say come by. If that was not my situation, then I think the best thing I could do is offer to go with them 
so that they had someone to so that it's not completely scary and so that they have a chance to try it because mm-hmm. I, I believe they should do it and I think anything we can do to make it available to people is a big deal and that is the hardest part once you go now it doesn't mean you're going to necessarily end up in a good school and you could hopefully have a good conversation and know what kind of direction maybe they know what kind of thing that they want to try to do or maybe you can help them know the kind of thing they want to do but I think the hardest part is is helping them actually start. Yeah. Do you feel it matters what kind of type of martial art they go for? Do, would you say to somebody a really great place to start would always be a kung fu or a karate style type type of thing, or always go for? Well, you know, would would you? always recommend starting in a particular place or would you just say just pick one and see how it sits with you um i think it would start for me and and this falls back into that being a nerd thing is that and uh i'm i'm an it technician by trade so like like problem solving and puzzles is like my thing so um i would absolutely love to have the conversation and help them figure it out but if they had something in their mind like so maybe they saw a movie or something that had jujitsu in it and they're going, I want to go to jujitsu. Then I think I would be a fool to try to tell them to do something else mm. because they, they know what they think they want. Even if they end up not wanting it, if they, if I talk them into doing anything else and they don't like it, they're going to say, well, I should have gone and done jujitsu. And then maybe they wouldn't try karate. Cause I'm like, well, you should go try karate. But then they don't they don't like it. It's not what they're thinking about. And then they have bad taste for karate when if I hadn't have done that, then maybe they would have found their way back to it and it would have meant something to them. Uh, and so I would want them first to go after whatever it is they think that they want. Mm. If they don't know what they want, then I would probably want to try to help them figure that out. And I would do that by their goal. I think boiling it down to that is the most. What do you want? Do you want to get fit? Do you want to be able to defend yourself? Do you want to do some competition or have some competing elements in your life? Do you want uh, something that's going to help with your headspace? Are you recovering from some kind of trauma that you need some healing and you're hoping that the martial arts will have something for you? Uh, you know, all of those different things are going to probably lead me to point you a different direction for each. Uh, and so when it comes to which one, I don't know that there's ever a perfect martial art for someone to start. Mm-hmm. I really don't. And so even in our, even in my own school, when people come in, because we have the different arts, I tell them uh, the most important thing for me is that they get a chance to try it and see if it is something they're interested in. So uh, we don't have any cost at all for the first few weeks for them to come in and try. Because if it's not important to them, if they don't like it, then it, then it doesn't matter what it costs. If they're not going to do it, they won't do it. And so I want them to try it. And I want them to try it without feeling obligated to try it. I don't want them to pay money and then feel like, well, I've paid money, so I have to go. If you don't want to go, you shouldn't go. And if you do want to go, you should go. And and at the end of the day, also, price is relative to value anyway. If you come in and you absolutely love it, then it might be worth more than you thought. And money is just decisions, right? We don't We don't charge a lot for our school. We don't charge to test. We don't charge for hardly – we have monthly dues to help keep the doors open. Um, but when you give somebody that number, 
and that's and they don't know anything else. They just know, well, I'm thinking about doing karate, and I and I know that this is the number. It can be really expensive because it has no value. But then once somebody does something, and you have things in your life that, you know, I have a really hard time taking my car in and going to pay the mechanic to do a bunch of stuff because it doesn't have the same value to me that uh, cameras and lighting and stuff does because it's just more fun and it's more interesting to me and, and mm. I can put more value into that because it it satisfies me in a different way. And I think the martial arts kind of has that too. Your your money moves around based on on if you think you need it in your life. And so you have to have a chance to try it. But then what I always tell them, even if they come in, they, I want to come in, I want to do karate. And that's, and that's a class that I teach. So I'm excited. And even if I really like them and, and we hit it off really well, I still tell them to try all the other classes if they can, because just because we hit it off really well. And just because I like them and just because they, they did karate and just because that's something that I would get to teach them doesn't mean that it's the thing that they're going to love. Mm. And if they try jujitsu and they try kickboxing and they try those things and they go, you know what? I came in thinking I wanted karate, but I love kickboxing. It makes me happy. I get up in the morning and I'm excited to get to do it. Then I don't want you to do karate. I mean, if you want to do both great, but I don't want to hold you to that. If there's something that brings you joy that you would Mm. rather be doing. And so I think, you know, sometimes your first art isn't the art you're going to end up with anyway. Mm. Great answer. Mm. Very good answer. Yeah, great answer there, Cam. Well done. <laughs> you <laughs> well thought about it once or twice like that? Yeah. That thing. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's amazing. Uh, thank you. It's still really hard when you get somebody that you really like and then they, uh, and the thing that they want to do is the thing that you, you, that they, you don't get to do with them. Like, yeah. Still a bummer, but you know that it's the best. Yeah, it's the best it for them to do. And the thing is, though, that that you know, in a slightly different subject, though. I mean, if you're a teacher, um, you want more people to come to you, and treating somebody like that enables them to recommend you, sure. um, because you haven't made them feel really bad about themselves. You haven't told them that they're wrong, and they're not like going away thinking that you're an absolute bastard. So. <laughs> Yeah. So that means that they'll, you know, when someone else says, oh, I fancy doing something, they'll say, oh, that, that Kango is nice. Talk to him. Mm. Yeah. You know, that's where reputation comes from, isn't it? Sometimes the, the best answer is for, is, uh, you know, I'll, I'll also help people find other schools because sometimes my school's not even the right school. We have a lot of arts and a lot of teachers. That, that doesn't mean that our entire school might not be right for you. Of course. If someone's really heavy into competition, then. Yeah. Yeah, especially I mean, because the only competition one of the one of the teachers in the school is heavy into competition, but he's specifically into point fighting, and um, and some kata, you know. But so if you want to do jujitsu competition, well, I don't have anybody that does that, you know. So yeah, you might need to go. You you need to go to somebody. We talked about it earlier. You need to go to somebody who is on that path, who's going to help yeah. you get there. I can help teach you jujitsu that you could use in competition, but I'm not going to be able to do a very good job. And I'm not going to be able to pull the best out of you. Mm. I had a student that wanted to go boxing and he wanted me to be in his corner. And he's like, what would you do? Like, how should I handle this? And how should I handle that? And almost every answer I gave him, he went, well, there's rules against that. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> I'm like, well, I would move this way. I would do that. He's like, yeah, we can't, I can't do that. I'm like, I'm not really good at answering these questions for you then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, boxing's, boxing's a whole nother kind of worms i felt really bad for him because he he did very poorly not for his own skill 
but he had a heavy Aikido background. He had a heavy Krav Maga background. He had a heavy Eskrima background with me. And you could tell. And I, I told him it was it would happen, but we tried our best anyway. He had boxed before. Um, but you could tell when you watched him. He was spending the entire fight telling him, his, trying to tell his body not to do all the things that he wasn't supposed to do. Not to move that way, not to, when he got backed into the corner, not to throw a kick to keep someone. That's why I couldn't do it. As soon as somebody got me pushed up against the ropes, I'd throw a kick to get him off me. Guaranteed, nice front kick, side kick. I, I don't really like round kicks. I like kicks that move people away from me. Um, and I guarantee if you got me backed into something, I would do that just to get you off of me. And then they'd be like, yeah, uh, points off or disqualified or whatever, the, however that works. And And you could tell that that's what happened. He just got worked over because every – reflex he had had immediately needed the brakes put onto it and so instead of doing something he was putting brakes on the thing that that he was trying not to do and while you're doing that you're getting punched in the face and you can only do that for so long it's very hard to override habits that you've had for a long long time especially combative yeah. habits yeah it's well i mean man and he was he had done krav for so long like Talk about an art that uh, has very specifically aggressive habits that don't fit in a boxing ring. Mm. I know. I feel. I feel like. I feel like if we exhausted our guest, I think we may have done. <laughs> what time is it with you? What time is it with you now? Oh, it's like two thirty. What? In the morning. Yeah. Okay. Oh my god. <laughs> I mean, that's should... okay. This was worth it. I'm glad it's been. I was been so excited. I was so on. excited. I've listened. Really? I mean, this is one of those really cool moments for me because I have been listening to your podcast for a long time, and so it's one of those really weird things. Where like, what do you mean I'm going to be on that podcast? That's weird. <laughs> That's not right. Basically, oh, means well. we're going to just just let you just talk. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just talk, talk, talk. Right, which we found is a thing that I like to do. Apparently, it is a thing that you like to do. And can I just take a minute to compliment you on your videos? You put them mm. together so nice. They're so nice, and um, I, I love I love the tone. I love the tone that you put through. It's, it's really, um, I don't know um, how am I going to put this authoritative and very very calm. Mm-hmm. So it's like tons of authority in what you say, but you never get that. Guy, okay, kids, this is what we're going to do. It's like <laughs> you can tell that you're thinking about what you're saying, and I really enjoy listening to them. Oh, the production you. quality as well is brilliant. It's really good. Um, it satisfies yeah. the nerd in me to to <laughs> do that, to like, well, how would I solve this problem? Like, I just got done making some really significant changes to all of it that nobody will notice that absolutely affect uh, my time commitment and, and my workflow. Yeah. And those kind of like puzzles and stuff are absolutely fun for me. Like, how can I, if I move this light this way or I change this camera to do this thing or that thing? Yeah. Um, and it, so it gives me a good outlet for that. I was a photographer for a long time. And so I had a bunch of stuff, you know, I think sometimes people see the channel and they're like, well, I bet you got to have to have this kind of stuff. It's like, you don't, I just did. Mm. I had it for other reasons. Um, but it, it gave me a reason cause I, you can't do everything. I think that's an important thing people need to realize in their life is you can't do everything. And I was really bad at saying no. So, I worked a full-time job in IT. I was a professional photographer and I was teaching martial arts. Ooh. And and I went, okay, um, 
you only have so much time. And when I started to feel I was shooting a wedding and, and there were there's something happened where I got through it and the pictures turned out great and it, it was it, you know nothing to to like cry about but I remember hitting moments where something really simple really threw me for a loop and I'm like you know how to do this but I it took me a long time to work through it thankfully thankfully for the martial arts right I had learned to to stand right in front of somebody and completely flounder without anybody knowing that I was falling apart um but I finally got through it and I, I came out of it realizing that either I have to put more time into this so that my skills stay sharp mm. or I have to stop doing it and I have to choose. Am I going to do that? Am I going to stop doing my day job? Am I going to stop doing photography or am I going to stop doing martial arts? One of these things has to go. Um, and well, being a successful photographer who you know, can pay the bills and do all that kind of stuff is an incredible amount of work. It's 80% sales and work and, and 20% actually taking pictures. So I was like, well, that doesn't sound very fun. So I, I stopped and so that I could make sure that I could keep the martial arts going in my life. Um, and that's a thing you've got to be able to do is realize when you just are pulled too many directions. And so this has been a kind of a fun way to get back into using some of those skills and mm -hmm. to kind of combine it with, hey, let me combine a couple of different passions together, which has been kind of fun. Mm -hmm. Great. Well, maybe maybe one day I could pick your brains because we'd really like to, uh, especially when we're back in the studio, do video. Oh, so, uh, anytime. And uh, I'd really love to find a, you know, as we were very lucky when we started the podcast that we had a professional studio to use. Yeah, so, I noticed that as soon as I saw your thumbnail, I was like, that's a solid mixer right there. Like, that's yeah, not... yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's a community <laughs> radio station that I volunteer at and have done for a long time. So I was able to um, use the facilities and everything. So, yeah, I was using everything, um, proper qualities. Of course, everything's changed because we're not permitted to be, you know, like two people who aren't at work aren't allowed oh, to be sure. in a studio right Imagine. now. Imagine. Imagine the disappointment when you come on camera and you see we're sat in our living rooms. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're expecting no, this amazing no. studio background and you get Susan yeah. Ball and this I mean, door. I mean, I could turn the lights on and you'd be like, oh, that's just that's just like a regular office in somebody's house. Like, yeah. honestly, if I walk people around the studio, like, it's amazing. I've, I've done a lot of trickery to make this look really good. Yeah. But it's it's a regular office and there's, there's a file cabinet right there. And, yeah. And there's boxes full of papers and other random things and and you know so it's it's funny that um i had one of my friends saw the first video and and the first couple of videos and he came over and he's like i need to go see where you're shooting because he's like because where in your house did you do that he didn't realize that i hadn't actually done anything um i'll give i'll give a trade secret just for you guys a special trade secret okay. the, the we won't broadcast it then <laughs> the wall back here yeah is it is a flat piece of particle board from Home Depot that is that is printed to look like wooden boards. Mm. That's it. It was it was twenty bucks. I hung it from the ceiling, and and that was the thing that he saw. That he's like, you went and like hung boards on the wall, and like did a whole thing. And I'm like, no, I spent twenty bucks at the at the at the builder shop and uh, hung that on the wall. <laughs> <laughs> You know, it doesn't take much to make something look very, very different than what it is. So it's kind of funny. Yeah. 
Well, maybe one day we could pick your brains a little on that. I would love to do it because I already told you, like problem solving and puzzles, like that's my that's my gig. Yeah, so. yeah. I, it's it's just basically being able to. Um, we we really like the Joe Rogan podcast, and oh, and I yeah. have I had you know I just I love the cool simplicity podcast. of that. You've got the camera, uh, two guests, but what I hadn't realized was that he he edits it, and I couldn't you know in my simple mind thinking without knowing anything about video, I couldn't work out how it was done. And somebody said, well, that's because you've got three cameras. You've mm -hmm. got one on the host, one on the guest, and one down and the middle. Wide shot. So yeah. when you need to edit something, you just use the other camera so that you can right. take the section of video out. So you've just got someone doing this. Right, right. As you're doing that kind of stuff. That is <laughs> While you the edit out the other bit. <laughs> one of the podcasts that... Um, somebody I knew ran, I did that. And I laughed because I could tell something that was happening because it would cut. His wife was, was cutting to different angles and stuff like that. And if you looked really close, when it cut back to him, you'd see a cloud of smoke because she was cutting away from him so he could puff on his cigarette. <laughs> <laughs> so it cut to like me or to the guest or something like that so that he could get his cigarette break without actually smoking on camera. <laughs> so, oh, that's, so funny. Just cut. that's actually one of the things that i i switched recently um where is this thing so the, one of the workflow changes that i just did is i did exactly that i set up multiple cameras we'll try to turn this on there. different cameras so that's my oh yeah other camera here and my sister and so when i shoot like lately the the different um when I do the segments for like comments or stuff like that, literally just switch, hit a button and switch cameras. It, rather than having to break everything down and bring everything back up, man, that makes a huge difference. And the same thing for recording the phone and doing all that kind of stuff. Mm. Um, all works off of just a little switcher that switches around. Brilliant. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Well, it's fun a nice stuff. setup. Nice. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. I really, I have really, really enjoyed your podcast, like a lot. Uh, for a long time. And I think I first found it because of Ian Abernethy, because I binge listened to his entire podcast, mm. uh, because that's the obsessive compulsive person I am. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember him having, you know, the interview that you guys did. And then I was like, man, I really like this. And you, the quality of your podcast also stood out since you were doing that in the radio studio. Like I mean, some, some podcasts you can tell are, are just, you know, in the middle of a, a room with a phone or something like that. And that's like, oh, that's some, some nice quality audio, but I just really enjoyed the conversations and I really enjoyed, um, like any good podcast, I've enjoyed the way you get to appreciate the growth of people. Like it's kind of neat to be like, yeah, well, I remember when, when Greg did that grading and I remember when Sue did hers and she was really concerned about it and, and really upset. Um, but I knew she was going to do fine and then she did do fine, but, but it was interesting to, that they were, here's a podcast that's talking about it and nobody yeah. wants to talk about that, but it's a real thing that happens. Yeah. And, and so I felt like I got to be a part of it and I really, I just really enjoyed that. Like your conversations yeah. are so genuine and that's what I love about what you do. Thanks. That's very nice of you to say. Thank you. It's very kind. Yeah. You guys are doing great things. Thank you very much. Thank you can you. definitely come back. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I've had I've had loads of fun. This has been great. It's been fun. really good. Yeah, I've really enjoyed it. It's nice of you to stay up so very very late to talk to us. Yes. And we appreciate yeah. that. Thank you. 
I'll be highly caffeinated tomorrow. It'll be fine. Oh, bless you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> well, maybe we should let you uh, finally go get some sleep. Sure, no uh, worries. Well, yeah. Well, I really appreciate it. This has been so great. And thank you for taking the time to have me. Thank you for coming on. It's been a pleasure. It really has. And thank yeah, you so much. We'll definitely do it again. Yeah. Anytime. Yeah, absolutely. Anytime. Let us know. Good to go. Very good. All right. Thanks. Thanks very much, Ken. Take care. Hey, you bet. We'll see you. Thank you. Bye.